Are the Bills for real? And does beating the Texans by 40 really move the needle? The Rams were being crowned the best in the NFC just a week ago. Now betters are abandoning ship after getting thrashed by the cards. You know, what's going on in LA? Cowboys keep rumbling through opponents. 4-0 ATS, 3-1 straight up. Is it sustainable? And look at the Jets. Look at the Jags. Jets win. Jags should have won. Are these teams actually maturing, getting better? Are they bettable? Or is it just a dead cat bounce to be avoided? Let's hit the opening bell and recap week four. Welcome, Kings, to this edition of the Not Your Daddy's Sports Betting Podcast. Uh, this week, uh, we have a special guest. We have Ron Ace Sports. You should follow him on Twitter. He's been basically handicapping football, especially NFL, for the last 40 years. That's right. I said 40 with a 4-0. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll hear from Ron uh, specifically about his kind of background as it pertains to handicapping and, and how he goes about the week. Uh, but just want to give him a shout out here. He'll be joining us on this episode uh, to basically recap week four and look ahead to week five. So real quick, let's touch on performance. We probably want to go through this a little bit quickly this week because it was not our best output. Um, I'll be honest with you, Brett. This was the slate I least look forward to as far as the first five, uh, four weeks rather. Um, you know, just the entire week, nothing, not a lot of things were sticking out as anything that I really found a lot of edge in. And uh, basically, this uh, sportfolio playbook for Sunday um, materially showed that we did not have a lot of edge, or at least I did not. And, uh, you know, we're still over 500 as far as the playbook is concerned on the season. But our big whiff was the game of the week was on the wrong side, had the Broncos, had the under with the Broncos. But, um, you know, the Broncos was definitely not the right side to be on. Bought, basically bought a team that was overbought. Um, defense a little bit overrated. Teddy finally struggled before his injury. So not too much to pull away from performance. It was a week didn't feel good about to begin with. Uh, but how did we do with the uh, Circa? Yeah, so we went two and three this week. So kind of reflective of broader kind of playbook performance. This was our worst week of the season so far. Uh, we had the Broncos loss Steelers loss and Bucks loss Bucks definitely the worst pick there and we can kind of talk a little bit more about that as we kind of go through recapping week four but you know this is something that we talked about offline Zach is I feel like the Bucks was uh definitely a no play I think you know we went into making that pick around acknowledging that this was going to be a benchmark play in the sense of we make this pick, everyone else is going to pick it. So whether it wins or it loses, you know, we're just going to go with the market on this play. Uh, but I feel like that's not something we needed to do this early in the season. It's something that, you know, is a, is a effective strategy in the middle of the season when you have more bye weeks and you have spreads that are tighter, it's harder to find value and you don't have a lot of games that you really feel strongly about. 
And this week, again, we didn't really feel that strongly about many games, but I feel like, you know, there was other options that, you know, we in that another games that we did play across our other contests that we could have slid in there. Um, and I just feel like it was a spineless play hmm. to move in with the Bucks. So that's that's our three losses. And then we had Washington in, in Seattle. Yeah. Washington, you know, squ squeaked it out versus Atlanta. But, you know, as we kind of go and break down that game, I feel like from what my takeaways from that game was that Washington was clearly the better team. And there was multiple uh, kind of events in that game that went against them that made the game even tougher than it otherwise probably should have been. So I think that was a, a very clear and easy, justifiable victory. And then the Seahawks, again, a pick that ultimately ended up winning. I feel like if Jimmy G, he wasn't playing great, but if he stays in that game, I feel like they probably end up winning and covering. Also, a lack of creativity in this play. This was another benchmark play uh, where we knew Seattle plus three versus division opponent. That's like slam dunk pick by pretty much any square better across the board. Now, it doesn't mean that, again, that you know, it's not that you can't pick square games. Of course you can't. But it's just, yeah, it lacked creativity. And again, there was other games that we did like that I feel like we were just too afraid to mm. pick. And, and one of those, you know, that clearly sticks out to me is the Jets. And we had some Jets exposure. So we had that in one of our other circuit contests as well. Um, one of our shared entries that we do with Sharp Clark, uh, Josiah. Uh, and, you know, so that was a nice one. Um, you know, but just didn't have the conviction or the moxie, really. The confidence in our own fundamental handicapping to put that in more contests, which I feel like we should have done. So we went two and three. We're sitting at 12 and eight on the season, which sounds okay. But the benchmark, the Circa Consensus Top 5, they went three and two this week, and they sit at 12 and eight on the season. So we're basically flat. Uh, so the 12 and eight, we can pat ourselves on the back a little bit about it, but not too much. Uh, because again, just the, the, the average Joe Schmo top five consensus picks is, is hitting 12 and eight. So need to improve performance as we move in to the second quarter in lastly, as a performance summary, Lee Sharp's prediction game, we're doing well there. So we're sitting, you know, there's. Uh, almost 800 entries in Lee Sharp's NFL prediction game. Again, it mimics kind of 538's um, uh, uh, prediction game that they've had for the last several years. Um, again, this is an awesome contest. You can still join if you want, but again, you will have missed the first four weeks, which actually might not be too terrible since I know what, 500 or, or, or 400 of the entrants are sitting negative points right now, just to go, which goes to demonstrate just how difficult these types of games are. In fact, the benchmark, the market is around 90th place. So pretty much, you know, 80% uh, of the field is below market, including us right now. Um, we're just barely below market right now. We're to, you and I are, are sitting around 150th place right now. But again, it's slow and steady. 
Again, we haven't had a week where there's massive upsets. In fact, we haven't really had one massive upset so far. I think the biggest upset we've had season to date was the Steelers losing to the Raiders as six-point favorites. And as we can see now, obviously, that wasn't even really that big of an upset uh, or an upset at all, really. It was just a mispricing. Uh, and so in a game like NFL, like Lee Sharp's NFL prediction game, if you're not going to have any big upsets, those who are over levered to favorites are not going to get exposed. And of course, that is going to happen. And when that does happen, we'll again, we'll see who uh, was, again, misallocating their capital in just way too risky of exposures and they're going to get their faces ripped off and you're going to see people who are in the top 15 fall 300 spots. So we'll see how that plays out. Maybe this will be the week. So we'll see how that goes. Before we jump into recapping week four, uh, Ron, do you just want to give us, you know, 30, you know, 60 second kind of intro on a little bit more on who you are, your background, uh, and all that good stuff. Sure, thanks. Um, basically, I'm an under-the-radar guy who's been writing NFL previews and NFL draft reports for 40 years. It really helps me hone in on my own handicapping skills, which is assessing uh, the talent of each roster, their strengths, and especially their weaknesses, mm. looking at all the coaching changes, looking at all the personnel changes, etc. I design my own power ratings and have a formula for that that goes back from 1980, so a long time, so I know how to do the power ratings. Those are used as guidelines. Uh, power ratings are not be all and end all at all because you have to look at situational factors such as uh, multiple road games, revenge games, uh, short week rest, so on and so forth. And I combine that after four weeks, which is this is a convenient week to do this, is that now that we have four weeks of NFL data, we can see how teams are performing in 2021. And all three of those methods go into how I handicap games. And I look at it from any and all angles. I work hard in July and in August, handicapping each game twice when I do my seasonal previews. And then as we get to each week, I compare what I said in August to what where they are now statistically and so on and try not to inform try not to make an opinion that was just based on last week you know no over reactions maybe that's how I felt that they would be doing and basically that's my strategy so who Ron um in your kind of post week four rankings would you say is higher than market consensus and a team that's lower than market consensus? Okay, that's a good question. I think two weeks ago, I would have said that uh, I had Buffalo higher than most, but now everybody's adjusted. I think Arizona, everybody's, including myself, is adjusted. In terms of higher, um, I would have to, in looking at my ratings, you know, I haven't heard much about Cleveland, and I'm wondering why, because to mm -hmm. me, they're the most complete team in, in football. I don't see one area on their team that is actually weak. Mm. I might be a little higher on Cleveland than some others. And in terms of market value, 
I'm probably a little high on Seattle. I have to reevaluate where I am on that. And maybe it's the Russell Wilson factor, but I, I'm guessing my power number is higher on Seattle than uh, others have them. Um, conversely, I'm, I'm pretty low on teams like Minnesota. After four weeks, I think they've underperformed the market. And most of the other teams, pretty close to what I think um, the people I trust have their numbers at. Mm-hmm. And uh, real quick, Ron, uh, just yeah. to add, I, I, you know, I wonder if the Browns, maybe your ratings have them a bit higher than the market. Uh, maybe it's because the Ravens have such strong kind of relentless market support that the Browns are always kind of the ugly, you know, stepsister uh, to the to the Ravens, no matter what what's happening to the Ravens or what's what the Browns are doing. Uh, so maybe maybe that's part of the reason why the market tends to maybe uh, discount anything the Browns are doing. Yeah. No, I I really like that call though on the Browns, like because actually I I think it's one of the reasons too is because there's such loud narratives on some of those teams in their division right now that's almost crowding out the Browns. Uh, so you obviously you have the Steelers who are performing miserably and that's kind of dominating headlines, especially around how poor Big Ben has looked. Uh, and then you're seeing a lot of narrative, a lot of headlines also around the, the Bengals surprising to the upside, at least from a straight up perspective, for sure. Uh, and then of course, just the Ravens just in general, and they played some high profile games um, as well. Uh, and then you got, yeah, the Browns kind of a little bit under the radar there, you know, continuing to perform well and keep winning games and keep covering. Uh, so, all right, let, let's jump in um, to recapping week four. Uh, let's start off again with that Thursday night game, Jacksonville and Cincinnati. Uh, Jacksonville was plus seven and a half going Ridiculous. into that one. Uh, half. Uh, the survivor crowd basically piled into the Bengals, which would have been so sweet. That's one thing we didn't mention also is, you know, we we doubled down on the Chiefs this week in our two circus survivor entries. So we made it through to the next week. So we're still alive here in week five, feeling good. And uh, man, we would have felt so much better because we specifically, we flirted with the idea of the Bengals for Survivor. What our ultimate conclusion was is you're not, if you're the type of person who's going to be picking the Bengals on Thursday night football, uh, (laughs) you know, especially with such a dominant overweighting by the broader market on the game, when we knew there was going to be an over, you know, this, this overcrowding of positioning into the Bengals for that game, that this was right, a perfect scenario of where you can get a massive letdown and just this huge wash away of people who get their faces ripped off in Survivor picking the Bengals. And they lucked out. Mm, another one. Competitive game. But the Jags were almost going to be up by 21 to 0 going into halftime. Uh, but Ron, what, what did you do? I don't know if you, did you watch that game closely? What were what kind of your takeaways from that one? Are you upgrading the Jags? The, I, I, uh, the Bengals were in an unfamiliar position, being favored by over a touchdown. And in the past, they wouldn't handle it. But in the past, they didn't have Joe Burrow, who to me is absolutely the real deal, operating behind 
uh, a relatively weak offensive line. And I think Joe Burrow just willed them to the victory. I, I made no concession on the Jags' uh, power number just because they covered. I think the Jags are a flawed organization right now. Um, you're looking at a team that can't defend the pass, doesn't make halftime adjustments, inserts college-type players into an NFL-type system. I've seen that before with Chip Kelly. I think I'm seeing that initially with Urban Meyer. Mm-hmm. Maybe this will change after he has his first true bye week, which is kind of now because he's had 10 days. Um, With a lot of distraction, though. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I could have inserted some humor there, too. (laughs) But it's it's not a funny story for for Jacksonville right now. They're just getting this wrong. And I came away, even with a three-point win, impressed that Cincinnati took care of business. There'll be bumps along the road, and Burrow better stay healthy behind that offensive line. Game kind of went according to form. I had no action on the game. Too scared to pull the trigger on Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I know. I strongly agree with, I think Burrow is better than some of the sharper betters and kind of the analytics crowd give him credit for. Uh, I, I think he's performed admirably given the supporting cast of offensive, of offensive line players. Um, it's, you know, one of the worst in the league for sure. And he mitigates that downside. Uh, he's got a, a great wide receiver cast, which definitely helps. But I think he is really elevating their play. So in this game, you know, obviously didn't even have T Higgins, but still I walked away from this game actually kind of the same thing is I felt like Cincinnati was pretty much the, the better team throughout the whole game, even though they were almost about to be down 21 to zero. And it was just like drives just weren't being finished. And, you know, like a lot of these factors that you would say kind of likely goes to play calling head coach uh, and, you know, uh, which we know is some of the that is some of the worst in the league. Um, also, DJ uh, Chark went down in this game. He's now out for the season. So that's going to hurt the Jacks ostensibly, you know, one of their best wide receivers. Uh, kind of moving forward. Any uh, kind of final thoughts from you on this one, Zach? Um, yeah, not too much. I still have to re- recap the game, uh, check it out again. Um, but I, I think from my macro view on the Bengals, it's evolved a little bit into Burrow can make a bad coach look good. Like, I think we're we're hitting that territory now where anytime you're going to back Cincinnati, you're going to bet the Bengals. It comes with a caveat of, well, they still have a bad coach, but they do have a really good quarterback. And just like a good actor in a bad movie, sometimes a good actor can carry the whole freaking movie and it can actually become a good movie, even though it's a terrible script. So, Mm -hmm. and we see that with other great quarterbacks and bad coaches. So that's where I think if you can get a pulse on Burrow and how he's going to succeed in a game with that offensive line, then the Bengals are a bet on team in, in those right spots. Yeah. Perfect. And also, perfect description. The last thing I would say about this one is just, uh, you know, one of the reasons why we leaned Jags on this game for sure is one, you, you know, you're talking about can't bet. I mean, you can't bet Bengals minus seven, especially on Thursday night football. Um, like Ron said, completely unfamiliar position. Uh, and that's just 
overemphasizing the, neg the negative sentiment on the Jags to an unjustifiable degree. But one of the things I would say is I liked what I saw from Trevor Lawrence. And again, one of the reasons why we kind of lean Jags also is we started to see some flash from Trevor Lawrence, especially in the cards game, uh, which was kind of the first time we saw the Jags be able to move the ball down the field multiple times outside of, you know, one drive versus Houston. And then all that kind of came together in this game versus the Bengals. So I, I like what I saw from Trevor Lawrence. I liked the way they were leveraging his uh, mobility as well, which was big. Uh, but again, so much noise around this organization now. Again, losing DJ Chark. Again, they made up for it in this game, but who knows how long that And again, the Bengals were banged up on D as well going into this one. So I think it's still wait and see on the Jags. And especially going into this week, it looks like they're short underdogs. Uh, so, again, a wait-and-see approach on that one. I believe that. Let's go on to the next one, uh, Washington and Atlanta. Yeah, um, I don't. I, we can kick that straight to Ron. Ron, anything you saw from this game? Um, I was um, in the minority, I guess, uh, in this one. I actually stuck with my conviction that Atlanta could play with them. I had a situation that I thought would work. Atlanta is its own worst enemy yeah. right now. Matt Ryan has regressed. That's pretty clear, and I'm not 100% sure why. But the fact that he's completed whatever it is, like 90 passes for 800 yards or 100, whatever it is, it's less than 10 yards per reception which is not what a veteran quarterback, a former top 10 quarterback should do. Atlanta still had plenty of win chances. I take the opposite view of, of what you said earlier. And they allowed a big kick return for a touchdown and they could have lost by a point, making uh, the betters happy with a point and a half or two points, but they allowed that swing pass to go out to the, you know, to the side and the guy ran all the way in for a touchdown. But that's what you get when you bet bad teams. And, and I took a bad team on this one. Yeah. And, and to your point, Ron, you know, I, I was on Atlanta all week. Um, I, I didn't understand the nonsensical kind of guarantee um, that a lot of betters seem to be putting on Washington. And I think that kind of played out in this game is I don't think necessarily either side was really a good side to bet in this. <laughs> One, to your point, that Atlanta's just, you know, kind of really just hasn't figured out what kind of team they even are yet, um, nor do they maybe even have the players on defense to even be decent. Um, and Washington is, is a little off kilter, too, with that defense. Ha doesn't know what the hell's going on. Obviously, Heineke's playing pretty well overall. Um, but yeah, it, it was a game to me that I, I was initially on the Atlanta before I swung back over to the Washington side really just because it, there didn't seem to be a lot of edge either way and how this game played out seemed to kind of kind of play play into that, which Atlanta probably should have at least covered that one and a half um, in the end there. Perhaps. Um, I mean, I don't, I ultimately ended up not liking that we went with Washington, especially because of, again, that massive imbalance that was revealed, especially in Circa, you know, it was like eight to one. Uh, in favor of Washington on a pick 'em game. I mean, that's the type of situation I do not want to be a part of. Uh, but I think Washington was clearly the better team in this game. There's multiple instances of like very bad um, uh, penalty calls that 
erred on the side of Atlanta that gave them the benefit of the doubt that allowed them to extend drives and end up scoring. One particularly was a fourth down uh, that certainly should have killed Atlanta's drive uh, and given the ball back to Washington with the lead and likely then would have, you know, again, they were moving the ball up and down the field as well. So uh, would have given the ball like near the 50 yard line. But instead, it was like this ridiculous um, uh, roughing the passer call against Chase Young mm-hmm. that, you know, is, again, a sign of the times of the, of the newer league NFL and the way they protect the quarterback. So there is that. But, you know, it was it was one of the worst calls, certainly, of the week. Um, and then there was other there was another handful of other calls that when I was watching the game, like what? The, again, like game shifting penalties. Uh, but in either instance, both these teams, I think our narrative on why we ultimately ended up leaning Washington and, and picking Washington pretty much across the board as one of our core selections was that we thought that the Washington defense was going to give Matt Ryan problems, especially given Atlanta's miserable offensive line and that this defensive line, which has underperformed and kind of the defense has underperformed across the, the whole season to date, that they would show up somewhat, at least in this game. And that and that was not the case. So we ended we ended up pulling out the cover, but it wasn't because of the reasons that we thought it was. So like I chalk it up as a loss from a handicapping perspective, uh, even though you know we ended up pulling out that that the cover. Uh, Houston Buffalo Buffalo wins forty to zip. Houston did not threaten at all. Uh, in fact, I feel like, you know, I watched a little bit of this game and it was like, and I don't think we need to spend too much time on this one, but, uh, I feel like Buffalo probably should have beat them by more than 40, oh, they could 16, zero at half. I mean, they constantly were getting short fields, constantly ended up hitting, ha- having to settle for field goals. Houston's defense continues to play, you know, again, uh, above market expectation. I feel like I've in, in this 40 to zero crush crushing performance by Buffalo. I would say I'm actually impressed with Houston and how the Houston defense specifically Davis Mills obviously played terrible. Yeah, what, um, yeah go ahead, Ron. I, I just have one comment for each team because I didn't spend much time on this game either. When you have a team like Houston that basically took its whole roster and threw it out the window and brought in 35 to 40 new players. That chemistry is just not going to happen in year one. So you're going to see blown coverages. You're going to see all kinds of different things happen on the field. There's some talent there, but they're not working together. And on on Buffalo's side, uh, we've seen their attention to the pass rush with the two guys they drafted early. And it's paying dividends not only in getting to the quarterback, but you watch their past defense percentage, and it's now in a Super Bowl-type mode where it wasn't last year. Mm-hmm. Those are my two takeaways from the game. And uh, I'll finish on that. I don't think there's much to say about Texans. I, I agree with you guys. Um, I, You know, I haven't been a Josh Allen believer, which has kept me away from Bills more than I think I should be. But I, I, based on what I've seen, I know this was the Texans, but the last three games, and even the Steelers game, I mean, they really dominated that game for two and a half quarters. You know, I, I, I'm not, I think the Bills might be on the cusp of being the best team in the NFL. So I know it's early in the season. You know, there's plenty of games left, plenty of injuries that could turn this over. But if, if we were to play a Super Bowl today, um, you know, having the Bills and the AFC play an NFC team, I, I like my chances there. So 
you know, kudos to the Bills organization for kind of building this team and, and getting Josh Allen to, to be a potential, you know, AFC winning type quarterback. So mm -hmm. I think one of the, you know, criticisms of the Bills right now is just their strength of schedule thus far. So obviously, you know, lost to Pittsburgh in a bizarre game that again, Buffalo looked like the better team for 75% of that game. Uh, then crushed Miami, you know, crushed Washington, crushed Houston. Uh, you know, Washington continues to look not as good again as the market assumed. Miami, definitely not as good. Uh, and Houston, just as bad. So, you know, they have, again, they're dominating these teams, which they should do. So, it's hard to, again, overly criticize them for, for, again, just playing the teams that are on their schedule. But I think that is one area of concern, especially as they go into this game versus KC. Buffalo has probably played one of the easiest schedules. KC's probably played one of the toughest schedules. Uh, and so, you know, we have to at least acknowledge that that kind of distorts kind of the overall evaluation process, at least as far as like evaluating past performance. Yeah, and then the Chiefs offense has been playing really well despite the defense. So this will be a great time to see how legitimate that Bills defense can be. They won't stop the Chiefs all game, but, you know, can they hold them below like a 24 point total type game? Might go a long way yeah. to, to showing us what if the Bills D is for real. Yeah. Uh, Bears and Lions. This was a game that I already did rewatch first thing um, because I was only just closely monitoring it throughout the course of the Sunday. And it just seemed like Detroit was kept moving the ball down the field, down the field, down the field, down the field, and kept not scoring. Like, what, what is going on in this game? Um, this was a game I definitely leaned Detroit. We ended up not having any exposure to Detroit, uh, mostly because, again, a lot of the handicappers that we talked to uh, leaned Chicago, Sharp Clark leaned Chicago. I know you, Zach, kind of leaned Chicago. And also, and I like that you call me out on this. Obviously, I grew up in Chicago. I'm a Bears fan. And that kind of makes me turn into this kind of like Bears hater sometimes. <laughs> just because, they I mean, they've been so pitiful for so many years, except for like one year in 2018, um, that I just perpetually think they're, they suck. And... Uh, because I'm perpetually butthurt as a Chicago Bears fan. And I know that you called me out on that. It's like, you know, I can't really trust your handicapping of Chicago, as, especially if you don't strongly agree with it. And so that was one of the reasons why we laid off. But when I rewatched this game, I feel like Detroit actually was the right side. Again, I'm glad we didn't participate. But Detroit, you know, inside the 10-yard line on four separate occasions and come away with zero points mm. again they're the detroit lions so you have to handicap at least there's going to be some you know again bonehead plays but even if they can come away with zero points twice and they come away with 10 points the other two times you know then this is 24 24 uh and if they just kick field goals each time then they win or at least, you know, again, like it can ultimately change, you know, how the game ultimately ends up flowing, of course. Uh, but the fact is, is that Detroit was well within position to cover, if not win this game straight up. Ron, <laughs> teach us well, about the Bears and Lions so Brett okay. can see this clearly. I'm going to come from the, uh, from the other point of view. Um, we saw 
Justin Fields against Cleveland, and probably no one could have had a worse outing. But then again, that was Cleveland, and now we're Detroit. And I, I honed in heavily on Chicago and probably won the game for all the wrong reasons because I thought Fields' volatility, the difference between him and a conventional quarterback would work against a Detroit Lion team that has nowhere near the defensive talent or speed or pass rushing skill that Cleveland had. So I thought Fields was going to run for 60, 70 yards. I was right that he stretched the field, that he only completed a handful of passes. He only tried 17 passes, but Mooney uh, converted his uh, receptions for over 100 yards. Robinson was finally utilized and he stretched the field. Justin Fields has a live arm. He was going against a suspect defense. Um, there were more opportunities, I thought, for splash plays. And I thought the line was a little low, overreacting to their performance against Cleveland. Um, that was pretty much the way I went in with it. Um, the home crowd and the early buzz probably helped them through. And afterwards, Detroit gave them, gave them a tussle and gave them a game. I think I'm going to make a point here about power ratings because I learn things all the time. But I think I'm not going to be afraid to use different power ratings depending on what opponents mm. uh, are being faced. If Justin Fields goes against a Cleveland, I might lower the team tower power rating. But if he goes against a softer defense, like maybe even the Raiders this week, I might elevate the power rating. So I'm experimenting with not only what a team's rating is, but who they're facing um, because of the more mobile quarterbacks in the league and what challenges they bring to opposing defenses. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, great points. And the other thing I would say is, yeah, I mean, again, I rewatched this game. I'm bearish on Justin Fields generally from a long-term career perspective. It doesn't mean he's going to have a bad game every single game. If there was any point in time to have a good game, this is the one. And also there was a new variable interjected that we didn't know for sure going into the game, but there was at least, you know, uh, uh, news that would be strongly suggestive that the play calling in the game could change as Matt Nagy kind of pulled back on play calling, Bill Lazor takes over more of the play calling. And we learned in Nagy's post-game comments that that likely was the case as he commended Bill Lazor for his uh, play calling during the game. So you had that new angle in this game as well. And Justin Fields did. I mean, the one thing I won't criticize him on is his strength is the deep ball. So his that's like where he has been the most accurate, even when he was in college. And, and he threw some beautiful balls in this one, no doubt. And there was also some great catches. There were some throws that were more, he made more difficult than they didn't, than they didn't need to be. Um, still was holding onto the ball too long, uh, especially behind this bad defensive line. You need to sling it faster. And I think Bill Lazor put him in a better position to throw some of those quick passes as well which, you know, is definitely, you know, going to be, you know, the, the right way to play call for the Chicago Bears, given their offensive talent. Montgomery also went down in this game. And, you know, he has been easily one of the Bears' best offensive players over the course of the season and also was through three-fourths of this game. So I think he's going to be out for a few weeks. So that's worthwhile noting. Damian Williams looked 
not bad as, as a backup. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out. But uh, Justin Fields, yeah, 9.2% CPOE. So super impressive. Average depth of target over 13 yards. Total EPA 5.5. So clearly his best game to date of his career. And again, at home versus the Lions, as Ron pointed out, versus one of the worst defenses in the league was a prime spot to look good. I think if the market's now going to elevate the Bears unjustifiably off this performance, that I think that's not something you want to lean into. Uh, but we'll we'll see how how that plays out moving forward. Uh, next game, Dallas and Carolina. What happened to Carolina's defense? <laughs> it was there for the first half. It was fourteen yeah, to you're ten right. yeah. at at halftime, and Carolina, that defensive line was putting a ton of pressure on Dak Prescott uh, and this broader offense. And then the second half adjustments came in. And this is one thing that we talked about multiple times throughout the season so far is Carolina's best performance is kind of in that first half of the game. And we have concerns that they are that the coaching staff is less than average at adjusting to game script and to flow of the game. And then they're being out coached in the second half of games. And that clearly showed up again here versus Dallas. My take on this game is basically three teams, Denver, Arizona, and Carolina were stepping up in class after promising first three games. Um, in Carolina's case, they were stepping up against certainly a top five offense. Ezekiel Elliott's in fine form. I noted uh, you know, preseason how dedicated he was to this season as opposed to last season. And with that run pass down balance, Dallas was going to be a threat to score on any team. And Carolina's a work in progress. This is year two of the rebuilding era. This is not a quick fix for Matt Rule. He builds programs two, three mm -hmm. years, not, not in six weeks. So I wasn't surprised that Carolina, uh, you know, was going to falter in this game. My metric said I should probably play Dallas, but I have a hard time betting on a Mike McCarthy team as a favorite of over three points because I, mm -hmm. I don't trust him to even look at the clock when it's the two-minute warning or the one-minute warning or third and one or whatever it is. Um, and Dallas defensively is better without uh, Mike Nolan, who was their defensive coordinator last year. Overall, I'm not at, I'm not surprised at the result for either team. I think Carolina will be fine moving forward, but they're they're not an elite team by any means. And and Dallas found the spot that that they could win in. Right. And also Dallas is one of the best offenses in the NFL. So if you're going to exploit, I, I think even the best this is an offense, an offensive league. And even the best defenses are going to be exploitable by some of the best offenses. Uh, you know, this was a game I, to, like your, to your point, Ron, when I see Dallas minus four and a half, that's like, hell no. Like, I'm not betting <laughs> Dallas minus four and a half. Um, and I leaned Carolina. And one of the reasons why we didn't have exposure to this game, because Zach, you know, Carolina was kind of like one of your teams that, you know, you were talking to me about is like, you just can't bet them right now because obviously you have the loss of McCaffrey, you have the loss of some defensive players also. 
um, you know, JC Horn, uh, AJ Boy is coming back online, but you know, he's still, you know, not where he needs to be. You know, they just traded for CJ Henderson, but he's not caught up. You know, there's a lot of noise around going on still around the team, uh, a lot of question marks, and you know, it we just weren't there yet. Um, so I'm glad that you know we were able to to avoid exposure on this game, especially since I again I did definitely lean um, Carolina, and I thought you definitely couldn't couldn't bet Dallas here. I'm actually, I, I, I'll my takeaway from this game is 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 I was impressed with how Carolina performed. Generally, I liked how they performed in the first half. Again, I just want to see better second half performances from them kind of moving forward. Yeah. Uh, Miami, Colts. Yeah, I think Miami got their hat handed to them again. Um, a team I was pretty bearish on coming into the season has really started to play out. I mean, they really should be 0-4. And, and obviously the Tua injury didn't help the team. You know, Brissett's a capable backup, but he's not, he's not the answer. Um, but but I, I just don't think the team is as talented as people thought coming into the season. Um, and they were a little overrated because if you remember last year, they had a lot of lukey games. So like, you know, the game yeah, that they crushed true. the Rams, right? I mean, the, the Rams were down three touchdowns in the first 10 minutes from just one sack, a fluke this, a fluke that. Like, and they win by 25, look amazing. And it's like, that's not real. And then Fitzpatrick with that Hail Mary versus the Raiders. There's a lot of games last year that just kind of were fluky for them, all really bounced their way. And so I think the market was overinflated with Miami last year. So this has kind of been playing out the way I thought the season would go, more or less. So I'm not shocked, personally. No, oh, yeah. And you've been dead right. And I'm so happy that we've not bet the Dolphins. Oh, actually, we did bet the Dolphins once versus the Raiders, and we squeaked that one out. Um, again, probably got a little bit lucky there because they were clearly uh, not the better team in, in that matchup. Um, but I'm glad that we've broadly avoided any Dolphins exposure kind of season today besides that one. Uh, you've definitely been right about the Dolphins underperforming broader market expectations. I was higher on them. I didn't have a super strong conviction, but I definitely wasn't as bearish as you were. Um, and you're definitely being proven right thus far. Um, granted, no Tua, and I think Tua is definitely better than Brissett. Um, you know, the final score of this game, Indy plus, you know, 27 to 17, kind of clear, vic clear victory. They were plus two and a half, so they win as underdogs. But it wasn't just a decisive win from start to finish. You know, I'm looking at the winning percentage, uh, the win probability over the course of the game. I mean, the Dolphins were expected to win this game, you know, above, you know, 65, 70% for almost half the game. So this was kind of like a second half, just dominance by the Colts and just complete ineptitude by the Dolphins in the second half. I just can't get a good read on the Dolphins. You know, I was high on Flores as a, as a head coach. I thought that they had kind of like the broader kind of talent on defense to still, you know, put in, you know, some pretty strong performances. They have, you know, Jacecki, Demonte Parker, Will Fuller. I mean, Will Fuller obviously keeps getting hurt. Um, so he's not nearly been kind of the, the factor that many would have hoped he would be by now. Um, but kind of what's your kind of perspective on, on these two teams, uh, Ron? Oh, I, I'll, I'll be brief on Indy, but I have a lot to say about Miami. Um, Indy was supposed to cover this game based on the metrics, but because 
this hasn't worked that much with Carson Wentz. They weren't finishing drives. Um, I was, like with a lot of games in week four, pretty passive and, and didn't have a lot of games going. And I thought Indy's still not a complete team. But I learned a lot about Miami in this particular game. Uh, for one, I think uh, people have, are going to start to come around and realize that uh, maybe we should give this Tua guy a chance because he was progressing. He, first of all, he shouldn't have even played last year off a serious injury, and they got eight games out of him. He looked mm -hmm. good in preseason. He looked sharp with the reads. And I think we're finding out that uh, Brissett is nothing more than a backup quarterback. And you've got Tua, who has a command of the offense. He knows how to make of reads. And I think the offense has really suffered without him. Obviously, they don't have a bell cow running back, so they're relying totally on more or less a pass offense behind three very, very young offensive linemen. And defensively, it was always about coaching more than talent. And I think that's hurting them right now because the talent isn't there and, and the coaching is with Band-Aids right now trying to make up for offensive mistakes. I really have had to reassess my number and downgrade them an extra point based on the quarterback change. And, and I think they are hitting a critical point in this year where maybe it's not going to work. I was a little bit higher on them. I, I thought they were uh, certainly a fringe playoff team, depending on how New England was going to rebound from all their opt-outs from last year. And, and, and Miami's been a disappointment, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to realize why now, now. I think I have. Yeah. I mean, because again, like this was a game that they did not play very well versus New England. Um, you know, should have lost that game. Yes. Um, obviously got smoked by Buffalo. Uh, again, played a, a deceptively close game that went to OT with the Raiders. Um, you know, that they were clearly, I think they had like two good drives in that game and were kind of fortunate get like a pick six and, and a couple other kind of like fortunate plays that kind of helped them stay in that game. And then, you know, through most of this game versus, versus Indy and Indy is one of these teams that is, you know, not, has not looked good uh, at all. I think they, they, they looked pretty decent versus, versus the Rams, but then now, you know, how good are the Rams? And, and again, Wentz is, it just seems like he's just getting more and more banged up week by week instead of getting healthier and healthier. Um, so yeah, really hard to, 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 to be optimistic about Miami. But yes, if Tua does come back, and I still feel like I want to give the coaching staff the benefit of the doubt that they can turn this around. Um, but I guess, you know, we'll kind of see uh, um, moving forward. And any thoughts from you on this one, Zach? Um, yeah, you know, obviously the, the Colts struggled early in this game and they kind of found their rhythm. And that's kind of what I expected with the Colts with Carson Wentz is I, I think they're... I, Ironically, I think he's finding his footing if his angles are not broken. So I, I just think, you know, the, the wind's shakiness was expected and that we can't say he sucks or is good yet. Like, I think he's going to have some some variance of performance until he's a little more comfortable with Frank Reich and the team. And obviously the team's had some injuries, which all teams kind of do. Um, so yeah, I think the Colts put it all together in this game, um, especially in that second half. And so I'm interested to see if they can carry it forward in the next, uh, next couple games. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm disappointed that we didn't profile this game better than we did. I feel like Indianapolis plus two and a half, pretty much everyone across the board downgrading Indianapolis, totally writing them off, writing off Wentz. 
which hey may may have been fair, but you're still playing Miami, who is also not very good, uh, and you're getting some points versus a clearly better quarterback still. Um, and again, a, a a very intelligent you know top ten coaching staff as well. I feel like we missed out a little bit uh, opportunity there. Uh, Cleveland, Minnesota. I think I know there's a lot of people who thought this was going to be a very high scoring game. Cleveland ends up winning at 14 to seven. Uh, you know, uh, not a lot of touchdowns. Cleveland didn't even score those two touchdowns. <laughs> you know, that that was not two touchdowns of those 14 that 14 points. Um, this is one I still need to to rewatch. Um, Ron, what are some of your thoughts on this one? Very interesting game. Um, I was on the fence until the end. After talking to uh, some of the people I respect, I decided to make a token play on Cleveland. Um, I was kind of reading into the line a little and thinking, well, Minnesota just had that very good win over Seattle, an expected win on my part. So why aren't they favored in this game uh, against a Cleveland that hasn't had a lot of public perception love? And so the more I thought about it, it's, it was because maybe Cleveland's a more complete team. Yeah. Minnesota does not have the pass defense that it used to two or three years ago. Dalvin Cook is banged up, robbing them of his versatility offensively. And basically, the way Baker Mayfield has matured, um, he doesn't give away games anymore. Although the Beckham... Uh, you know, that whole dynamic with uh, Odell Beckham is a little dangerous because at times you want to give him the ball just to keep him happy. And it's almost better if he's not in the lineup, which is kind of a weird yeah. take. Um, but I, I think there's so much firepower on this team with an offensive line, with two good running backs, great running backs, three tight ends and so on, um, that even if they're behind, you have some trust that they could come back in the game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and Mini, Mini's okay, but it was just kind of a matchup issue to me, mm. whereas Cleveland was just a little bit better. Yeah, and, and, and to Brett's credit, I think we talked about this leading up to this game. I, I was on Minnesota. Um, I like the points with the home dog. Um, ooh, very sharp of me. And um, the, he, he made a good point of the kind of like uh, coaching matchup and how these teams are, are built uh, schematically, uh, kind of a, with a similar philosophy, um, and and the Browns have the better, the better players overall, right? You know, I, I think obviously they have the better O line, they have comparable, um, well, definitely the better defense. So you know, the big takeaway is, I mean, both the quarterbacks really played kind of poorly, and I think that speaks to to both teams kind of knowing what the other team wants to maybe do offensively because they want to do that offensively more or less. Um, and so maybe that's why these defenses had some success against each other. Obviously, the Browns defense has been playing pretty well. But this total was 52, I think, because the anticipation was that wasn't going to happen. But I think this particular game, the coaching staffs knew what the other coaching staffs wanted to do. And so they could take it away, basically. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't downgrade the offenses well, because of this to say. Yeah. And I think I'm, I'm Super pumped that we didn't have any Minnesota exposure here. Again, like you mentioned, especially since, you know, you kind of liked Minnesota to start. But the other thing that I was talking about in this matchup as well was, again, trying to be honest with how we're evaluating these teams on a week-to-week -week basis and not being wishy-washy and staying consistent with our, fun our, our fundamental handicapping. 
And so you go back one week ago. Now we did not bet Seattle versus Minnesota, but we both liked Seattle. And it was a, a, it was a game that we certainly thought about allocating to, and we would have lost. And then this week, now we're considering Minnesota with roughly the same line, but versus a team that we definitely power rank higher, which is the Browns, you know, being much better than Seattle in our view. But now we're going to flip-flop and now we're going to take Minnesota in, in, in uh, basically a worse line versus a better team. And so that would be make completely be a com- completely inconsistent approach. And I feel like that's a mistake that we have, we would have made in the past. And I like that you know, we're continuing to, again, uh, mature and be more consistent in the way that we're applying, you know, our, our broader kind of uh, uh, evaluations of, of these teams. Um, again, this is something I'm going to have to rewatch to really kind of have more substantive kind of takeaways from it. But Minnesota is definitely one of those teams that, like the Saints, um, the market is having a really hard time evaluating, <laughs> kind of swinging back and forth between, man, this team sucks, or man, this team's good, uh, and you know, really can't get a hold of it. And basically what it seems like right now is you kind of just want to fade whatever the broader market <laughs> is, has conviction, what, what the, kind of their latest view is of the team uh, of the day. Um, so speaking of Saints, Jets or, or Giants and Saints, Giants went into this plus seven and a half point underdogs. Uh, this was the Saints' first game back at the Superdome. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, I mean, the market is kind of just seesawing back and forth on their perspective of the Saints uh, and Jameis Winston. Uh, this was a game we had no exposure to it, but we almost had exposure to the Saints as our survivor pick. And we did not (laughs) in the end. uh, We ended up going with the Chiefs instead, uh, which was very nice. Uh, I think like around 400 people picked the Saints in the Circus Survivor. See ya, you know, bye-bye. The Giants. Zach, one thing I'm going to call you out on this one is your hate for Danny Dimes that every single time you would say it, I kept saying, I, I disagree. I disagree. I disagree. So, and Danny Dives has performed <laughs> admirably yeah. so far this season. And it definitely showed up in this game, particularly. Um, and another game that, that made me want to stay off, you know, again, the Saints was, you know, your preseason evaluation of the Giants' defense kind of being better than the, the market was, was really pricing. Um, and again, that might not show up every single week, um, you know, but in a week like like this week, you know, it definitely did. Yeah. And and to that point, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm not afraid to I mean, I was on the Giants. I said the Saints were unbettable, um, I think, in my my weekly um, who you cannot take because it, the line just seemed to be kind of irrational based on. Well, the Saints dominated the last game, so they're really good this game, right? Like, it just seems like such an obvious overreaction each week with this team. Um, so, yeah, so I, I had no problem with the Giants play, taking the Giants. I mean, I mean, we didn't have a ton of conviction, but it was either Giants or off just because the line was was not right. It was too too high, in my mm-hmm. opinion. And actually, and you know, that's what made this week in Survivor so tough was because, you know, one of the filters we pl- applied last week when we picked the Cardinals as our Survivor pick versus the Jabs. 
was we don't want to pick a survivor team that in a, in that particular matchup we would feel more inclined to bet the spread of the opposing side because basically then we're giving ourselves you know very little wiggle room of victory because we basically think oh this this team's going to win straight up but we actually feel like the other side's going to cover and so we wanted to pick you know again a survivor pick where we actually like that team from a spread perspective as well and you know the cards in, in that matchup was one and we kind of been applying that again that lens on a week by week basis but this was a week where we felt that it was very hard to meet that threshold because in almost every instance of a team that we liked from a straight up perspective we actually liked the other side from a spread perspective you know which puts you you know increases your overall vulnerability um and, and you know we were definitely right right in this one any kind of takeaways from you ron are, are you upgrading the giants do you think danny dimes uh his kind of uh you know admirable performance year to date is something that we're gonna see over the course of the year has he grown again this is only his third year everyone kind of like wants to write him off you know so quick you know people want to write off some of the rookies that we've seen already this yeah. year oh man he sucks you know, what are you seeing from the Giants, you know, and Danny Dimes and also the Saints? For Daniel Jones, it's a year, it's a full year audition. Either they draft a quarterback in the first round with one of their two picks next year, or he stays on. So it's not just a one game addition, audition, which he uh, won the audition this past week, but it's a full year. I would have loved to play the Giants this week, but my power numbers said I should be getting more points, oh. not, not fewer points. My takeaway is really about the Saints and how disappointed I am in their play calling in this game. Uh, you have to pass more than 23 times against the New York Giant pass defense. Mm -hmm. um, I understand that Sean Payton is trying to rein in Jameis Winston. They don't want a 30 for 30 kind of situation, 30 TDs, <laughs> 30 interceptions, turnovers, lose ball games. But at some point, you got to take off his chains and find out whether or not he has top 10 to 15 quarterback ability. And there was no better spot than to do it against the Giants. And I just thought their game plan was so flawed that they let uh, mm -hmm. this victory, the New York, uh, the Saints, they let the victory slip away. And I, I think Peyton at some point has to be more of a risk taper, taker with Winston to see what he's got. That, mm -hmm. That's really my biggest takeaway of the game. Yeah, that's a, that's a good take. Well, I think it also, you know, you need to have the right weapons around him to mm -hmm. be able to really be able to do that. But you, they have a good offensive line and they got a stud running. So that should be sufficient, you know, um, to take. I know Callaway got banged up in this game as well. So I'll have to see how what his uh, uh, future status is, because they were obviously already banged up at wide receiver. But to your point, you know, you look at some of the advanced analytics on Jameis Winston's performance in this week, uh, uh, 10.1 total EPA. You know, uh, his EPA was uh, per play was better than Danny Dimes in this game. It's just to your point, you know, Winston or, or uh, Peyton does not trust him. So is mm -hmm. not wanting to leverage him to the same extent as other coaches in the past. And, and again, maybe, you know, uh, Maybe it's justified, maybe it's 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 not, but um, you know, it will be curious. Again, this is a game I'm gonna have to rewatch, so I'm gonna have to see again some of 
uh, uh, some of that disappointing play calling that must have been, you know, simple, uh, kind of played out in this game. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see if we get a performance where Sean Payton, you know, allows Winston to play freely. I, I don't think we're going to see it because I feel like when he wants to add a wrinkle, he's throwing in Taysom Hill, you know, in there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What, what are your thoughts, Zach? Yeah, no, I, 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 I like that takeaway um, all, on all accounts. It makes a lot of sense. Um, so really something to monitor is, you know, is is Peyton going to unleash Jameis? Because, you know, they had that big uh, pass play for a touchdown that was called back and they had Taysom Hill run it back and do the same play and he underthrew and got picked off. You know, it's just like you keep doing that. You know, I mean, that, that's Winston's strong suit is, you know, getting getting him some time, get a guy downfield, let him air it out. And again, maybe there's a pick or two during the game, but it's all contextual. If it's on third and six and it was going to be a punt the next play anyways, yeah, let him throw a 45-yard pass that down the sideline gets picked or, you know, receiver makes a nice play on the ball. That's fine. Brady does it all the time. So, you know, I, I think Peyton just needs to kind of be a little more, to Ron's point, uh, just kind of embrace what you have, see what you got. and uh, But we won't know. We'll see, see if he does that because I think they're going to have to do that if they want to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Exactly. Uh, Jets and Tennessee. Jets get their first win of the season. This was a game that you know we definitely leaned Jets. I think there was you know a square sharpness about the Jets this week. Um, you know because it was obviously very well documented that AJ Brown is going to be out, Julio Jones is going to be out. You know Titans like super banged up. Uh, how much worse can the Jets possibly be? Also, they played, you know, a, a string of defenses that were some of the best in the league. Um, so, you know, that could somewhat be justified for, you know, you know, very tough welcome to the NFL for Zach Wilson. Also, another kind of uh, uh, factor that I fl- think flew under the radar that really showed up in this game was the uh, addition of Jamison Crowder. You know, this was kind of his first game back from the season, and that really opened up some things for uh, Zach Wilson in this offense. And one of the things that we, we've liked from the Jets every single week this year, in fact, has been the performance of their defense. So we've kind of evaluated their defense as basically like a top 10 defense in the league. And even though they've not been competitive in some games, it's mostly because their offense has put the defense in such bad positions or put them on the field for so long, but the defense had consistently played well, consistently put significant pressure on the opposing quarterbacks. All of that played, uh, all that kind of came together in this game. And finally, Zach Wilson got to play a defense that wasn't, you know, again, top 10 um, in in the league, got to play one of the worst defenses in the league. And in the second half, especially, was really able to exploit that. Um, Ron, do you think, you know, this is, do you think the Jets are bettable kind of moving forward? Did you like what you saw or do you think this is kind of a blip kind of took advantage? Again, they're still a pro football team. They're at home playing an an extremely banged up Titans team that still ended up almost getting the victory in in OT. Uh, First of all, I think uh, every point you made was extremely relevant. All those factors came into play. The Jets were bettable this past week, but I had jumped the gun the week before, not really betting on the Jets, but betting against Denver being a double-digit favorite against the Jets. Um, I probably would have been punished if I bet on the Jets two weeks in a row, so I had to sit this one out, even though I think the Jets were the right side. Um, 
I think that Jeff's Well, you know, Ron, in fact, like, you know, that is, it's funny you say that because, you know, I don't know if you've heard us talk about this on previous podcasts, but this is actually a phenomenon <laughs> that yeah. we do try to exploit in that, that butthurt phenomenon, which is like, well, I just bet the Jets yeah. and I thought it was the right side and I lost and I see value on them this week, but I just can't do it. I see value. My numbers say I should bet them. Everything says I yeah. should bet them, but I'm yeah. too emotionally hurt and I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's it's something that you really shouldn't have carry over. But then if, if I look at my three losses over the last two weeks, you know, one's on the Jets and one's on Atlanta, you know, I'm and I'm thinking, well, why am I betting the worst taking these teams? Get at least <laughs> a team with a pulse in there, you know, and, and to try to go with that. But, uh, you know, I like what Wilson did offensively, but it's too soon to say that this team is really bettable because the offensive line is a complete mess. They're going to play better defenses than Tennessee. I mean, actually, actually, it exposed Tennessee's flaws more than the Jets' strengths, in my opinion. Good point. Good point. I mean, how does Tennessee get sacked seven times by the Jets? Um, mm -hmm. You know, how does Tennessee keep shuffling kickers back and forth where they, they miss critical kicks for the third year running? Uh, you know, something's going on with Tennessee where they have the best running back in the game and they're and they go to the playoffs and they have a really good coach, you know, yet they have a game like this. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely, you know, I wasn't high on Tennessee to begin with. And man, this is this division. Colts, uh, they're uh, coming. Uh, <laughs> AFC South, my God. I said it was going to be the worst uh, division in the in football. Oh, well, I don't and think he's going to win really it too. off market with that yeah. view. Though. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm saying before the season, I mean, maybe they are actually even worse than what people thought. Like, I think most people thought this was the worst division in football, but maybe it's actually even worse than that. Could be. Um, yeah. Um, all right. KC, Philadelphia. KC, again, we picked them for a survivor. Man, the defense just keeps getting ripped to shreds. Um, I mean, again, we were texting Zach. Again, this was our survivor pick. And man, I was I was nervous the whole time. It was basically like, if obviously we know KC can put up points over and over and over again. But all you need to do is have a fumble or a, a tip ball. And it was like, and it goes in interception. It's like, if KC doesn't score every single time, well, the defense is definitely going to give up a score every single time. And man, it's tough. When KC scores 42 points and it's like You're sweating it. That was that could have went either way. You know? Yeah. Well that that and real quick, that that was the bet. The bet was simply because we didn't like a lot of the games we, we had on on the slate, um, that KC was gonna put in a great offensive performance and the Eagles would have to outscore them. And obviously if you're gonna put up forty two points, you gotta take your chances that a team's not gonna get forty five. Um, and but yeah, I don't think the Eagles punted this game. So really, Eagles kind of mistakes and and kind of turnovers um, really cost them even more points. So really, probably should have been a three point game at the end of the day. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. The difference in this game to me was Philly was in learning mode. Um, you know, new coach, new coordinators, yep. new roster, young raw quarterback. In the end, it was trading field goals for touchdowns. And if they get the touchdowns, because I think they were down there three or four times in the red zone, I think I know they settled for three field goals and, and some of them were pretty short. 
Um, you know, if they get a touchdown or two out of that, they clearly cover and give Kansas City a scare. Kansas City is definitely the better team, but, uh, you know, they're going to need some time to adjust that defense because, you know, that's not a defense built to, uh, you know, to win over the long haul right now. Yeah, no, their defense just keeps getting run over. Now, hey, they played some tough offenses, but I would not say Philly is an elite offense by any means. Uh, they're banged up on offense as well, especially their offensive line. Yet, you know, once again, um, Jalen Hurts has already put in some questionable performances. He looks good kind of near the end in garbage time. Um, but I mean, this was by far his best his best game from a statistical perspective. Um, but it's like, was that really Jalen Hurts or just how bad this KC defense is? Um, and it's just putting so much pressure on Mahomes in this offense to kind of like Ron's point is you need to score touchdowns almost every single time. And if it's KC that ends up settling for field goals or again, it turn, ends up being a little bit more turnover prone than than usual, uh, then KC's going to end up losing games. And that's exactly what we've seen this year and definitely not covering. Um, again, they ended up covering this one, but I mean, that was, you know, could that this one could have went either way. There was no edge really there. And KC prior to this game was one in 11, the last 12 ATS. So they ended up getting this one. Um, but again, <laughs> very coin flippy. Um, Arizona, um, LA Rams, uh, Rams get smoked, took the three nothing lead on the first drive and then gave it up and never even kind of sniffed being a competitive game uh, after that. This was a game that I need to, to rewatch to have any really substantive uh, takeaways, but uh, I'll let you guys comment. Um, yeah, I, I have not watched this game either. I was monitoring the box score briefly. Um, I'm a little shocked. I'm not going to lie. I, I really thought at worst this game would be competitive. It looks like there was a bit of a letdown spot potentially for both sides of the ball from the Rams. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't have anything to take away from this yet. So I'll have to rewatch and, and post some notes about it. There's no question Arizona deserves to be at the big boy table after this performance. Kyra Murray, um, his game performance, his post-game comments about how level-headed he was in terms of this is just one game, we know we have more work to do, and so on. I was very impressed with him. It was, I agree, a letdown spot for the Rams. Um, I was too late to have an opinion on this game. You know, I would have loved to take six, but it was long gone before I formed my own personal opinion. The Arizona roster has been really carefully built. If you look at it, you look at their free agent acquisitions, team leaders like J.J. Watt, um, team leader on the other side and performer like Hopkins, the way they've used their first round draft picks. I, I still don't like their defensive coaching staff, but Kingsbury brings offensive creativity to the team. You, you have a lot of trust in the way he schemes opponents. And with the talent they have, I'm very impressed with them, but don't sweep on the Rams either. This was just one game. You know, I think they're still in the mix. Just, you know, it's a long season, 17 games. My takeaway was more the Rams are flat and Arizona's for real. Mm -hmm. And this this game really too just speaks to the capriciousness of fans and even betters uh, around the narratives following one week's performance. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, we try to capture 
kind of the broader markets view in time with our kind of weekly market narratives one pager that kind of captures what we feel like the broader markets uh, evaluation of a particular team is at that point in time and as of last week the rams beating the bucks decisively that the rams are the team to beat in the nfc and now you know one week again a justifiable flat spot like you mentioned but again now decisively lose to the cardinals and now all of a sudden the rams are not the best team in the nfc like and now convincingly so and now it's the car i'm gonna say you know in our preseason evaluation we thought the cards would start off the season strong and that will fade over the stretch so we'll see if that kind of plays out what, what i'm gonna say is Man, Kyler Murley does have a very beautiful deep ball. The touch on it is, it looks like playing backyard football. Um, and again, what I like about him as well is when he moves around in the pocket, he he doesn't really take direct hits. And this is one of the things that I've always really kind of commended someone like Tom Brady on. Now, Tom Brady's not a dude that's kind of running around in the pocket by any means. But I feel like one of the reasons Tom Brady has had such a long career and has really only had one major injury, you know, 15 years ago, was because he is intelligent around how he takes hits. Uh, and I feel like, you know, I'm seeing some of that out of Tyler Murray. Uh, and man, his agility around in the pocket, just getting around corners and extending plays, and then the defense kind of breaks down and then finds somebody just wide open, you know, has been really impressive. So I think this is going to come down to almost the kind of uh, the approach that we were talking about the Bengals is you have the talent on the field. You know, it seems like you're, you like Cliff Kingsbury, Ron. I personally don't. I think, you know, he can kind of get gimmicky and um, his kind of approach to the game uh, can kind of catch teams by surprise earlier in the season. And then the, the defenses kind of catch up to what, that this team is doing. Um, but again, I can definitely be wrong and maybe he's maturing as an NFL head coach. I think it's still TBD because my broader kind of framework around the Cardinals so far, again, they're, they're playing even better than I thought, but I allowed for the possibility that this team is going to play well in the front half of the season. And so that's what's happening. So there's nothing has caused me to kind of change my broader macro view on uh, the Cardinals. And and I definitely agree. I think you can't write off the Rams, although this definitely is a concerning um, performance. And again, you saw somewhat of a concerning performance against the Colts as well, um, especially if the Colts really aren't that good. Uh, and maybe it was a, somewhat of a flat spot again for the Bucks last week. And it really wasn't a great game. Because I didn't think the Rams played a great game versus the Bears. And if they didn't play a great game versus the Colts, and they didn't play a gr great game versus the Cards, and the Bucks game was just like a great flat spot to take advantage of them going into the Patriots game the next week. Maybe how good are they? Yeah. Yeah. I would add to the Arizona comments. Yeah, I think they will regress. There's some tough games coming up, but uh, more defensively than offensively, because Kingsbury's utilization in college and the NFL of their running it running game. Not, not really the running game, but using quick passes as rushes. The way he uses his running backs is really good for the NFL, 
I think he fits in really nicely there. And he's, they just have so many weapons on offense. It makes it tough to cover them. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Niners, Seahawks. This was a game Jimmy G got knocked out. Trey Lance <laughs> showed up. Um, found a wide open dude for a touchdown. You know, I guess you can applaud him for seeing the guy super wide open. But other than that, you know, wasn't a really uh, a great performance. It looked like, I mean, Seattle's defense still looks absolutely miserable. When the Niners were up seven to zero, I thought for sure this was, you know, uh, the Seahawks defense is just so bad that even if Russell Wilson can relatively keep him in the game, this is going to be a one that they just weren't not, they were not going to be able to pull out. Um, and I think, you know, Jimmy G going down allowed for Seattle to ultimately end up winning and covering this game. Um, but, you know, kind of what are your guys' thoughts? Um, okay, well, I had no real opinion coming into the game, but the, the minute Jimmy G was out for the game, I made some sort of cryptic tweet. I'm usually pretty private with my plays and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, to live um, bet Seattle? Yeah. I mean, well, I bet him an alternate line bet him too, because there was no way no, through no fault of his own that Trey Lance was going to see the field like uh, Jimmy G because he hadn't played in two years. His mm -hmm. his college team opted out in 2020. And it's a learning curve for him. He wasn't ready for that. And you couple that with the fact that they didn't even have their field goal kicker. You know, they had to use uh, their punter indeed, as yeah. their kicker. And it just opened the door for Seattle to do what Russell Wilson would do. This was not going to be a, you know, this was going to be at best a toss-up game for Seattle at full strength. But if you lose your kicker and your quarterback, uh, it, it was a completely different game. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a great point too. And this is one of the reasons why I let off with kind of saying I was disappointed in the fact that we actually ended up allocating to Seattle plus three, because to your point, Ron, I feel like if both these teams are at full strength, it's basically a toss up. And, you know, again, San Francisco, I feel like is the better coach team, uh, again, at home. Uh, and, and again, the market was so imbalanced on Seattle love that, you know, that's just not the side you want to be on kind of long-term in that sort of situational, uh, uh, um, kind of, uh, event. And, you know, so again, disappointed with Seattle, it's, it's, we ended up winning it, but you know, that's a, a type of decision that I really don't want to be making kind of moving forward. Any thoughts from you, Zach? And Russ, I trust. <laughs> yeah. When, when he's getting points, it's, square, it's, it's hard not square. I mean, get. well, but it's, it's because it's been 10 years of Russ when he gets points. I, I don't know the numbers on it, but it, it most of the time is, is a good bet in general. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Baltimore, Denver, this was a game. Again, we had exposure to Denver pretty much across the board. Uh, uh, we bet them, you know, ha had them in the contest at minus one. So we're even giving up two points of intrinsic value. Again, not two, not meaningful points. Uh, but nonetheless, that really showed our broader kind of conviction. And through one quarter, it looked like our macro thesis on this game was playing out exactly according to plan 7-0 denver uh we're able to move down the field teddy looked sharp exploiting the weaknesses on baltimore's defense uh denver was squashing baltimore's run game uh even if baltimore moved the ball a little bit then 
you know, it kind of stalled out and then had to punt. And the whole game, it was like, exactly, exactly. And then basically there was much better adjustments by Baltimore than there was to Denver. Denver kind of sold out to really stop the run and force Lamar to beat them through the pass. Uh, but again, I hate it when teams do this to this extent because then it's like basically like they leave dudes just wide open. And what I'll give Baltimore's offensive line a, a, um, a pat on the back for is I thought they played pretty well in this. Now there was like some breakdowns uh, where again, Lamar kind of got smashed or again, the run game didn't really do anything, but there was multiple, every single time pretty much that Lamar Jackson completed a really nice pass or a deep pass. It's when that Baltimore offensive line gave him a good, you know, three, three and a half, four seconds of Lamar just being able to stand there like a statue and then loft the pass perfectly down the field. Um, so Baltimore offensive line, I feel like outperformed, um, and again, Teddy Bridgewater going down at halftime definitely hurt. I'm not super bearish on Locke like many are. I don't know if he's bettable this week, but I think you know, a lot of people, again, the market was kind of split on who should be the starting quarterback. Obviously, Teddy Bridgewater gives you a more conservative game plan. Locke is going to give you a more aggressive game plan. But yeah, going into the second half, you can't possibly expect him to perform well right out of the gate, you know, versus again, a well-coached team like Baltimore. Got a question for you before I comment is, uh, what do you guys think of Vic Fangio? Uh, I think he's too old school. I, I wouldn't say he's one of my favorite coaches by any means. I think he's a good defensive coach, but you know, is a, is a liability when it comes to offense and especially offensive innovation. What about you, Zach? Yeah, it's very similar. I, yeah, I, th I think he's better suited as a defensive coordinator. It's kind of like the, the Wade Phillips effect. Like, just stay as a DC and you'll be right in your lane. Um, head coach, I, I just think he's he's just been in, in over his head, um, yeah. just not his strong suit. So, and, and you know, they had kind of three game cupcake games and they played a tough Ravens team that actually, you know, th those teams match up really well, which is kind of why we went with Denver is we wanted to f we always look for reasons to fade Lamar Jackson sorry I'm outing my <laughs> I'm outing myself publicly um but you shouldn't always fade the Ravens because at, as you know they've had a lot of games that they cover through the last three years yeah um no what, what I feel like too what we should have done in this game in fact was actually um because again I think the the broader narrative going into this game was Denver's played yeah three bad teams how good is Denver really? But again, Denver decisively beat those three opponents. So there was nothing to suggest. Again, they did exactly what they should have done. And again, so we thought we still thought, you know, Denver, we wanted to give Denver the benefit of the doubt. The thing is, again, this was another game that I feel like we could have just held off on and said, you know, it's a fair point to at least to set to suggest that like, they played three weak opponents. This is going to be their first real good matchup. Let's see how they perform. Because we've seen other teams before, too, is, you know, like they're really good at smashing the bad teams. Like, in fact, Baltimore is like one of those teams. In fact, it, like historically, like they smash the bad teams and then struggle versus like the really good teams. Um, and so I think we could have just waited to see, you know, instead of kind of just, you know, hoping. Um, so a little bit disappointed in that. But again, I feel like this is, this is a fair loss. I kind of still liked Denver. But yeah, go on, Ron. Okay. Um... 
My opinion of Fangio is very similar to what you said, so I'm glad you said that. He, his strong suit would be defensive coordinator. Uh, you know, you look back at close games over the years, and a lot of it is random. But I tried to do a deeper dive into Denver's closest close games under Fangio, and it's not random. There was clock management issues. There were play calling issues. There was something under mm -hmm. his leadership that didn't work. Too many close losses that that should have swung in the other direction. I had no real opinion on this game coming in because like with Carolina, I didn't know what Denver was other than the fact that they're not that creative offensively and against Baltimore's predictable blitzes, which I think Baltimore blitzes too much anyway, I wasn't sure that that either quarterback would be able to take advantage of, of what Baltimore was doing. They're just not creative enough. Plus, they're down two wide receivers as it is yep. uh, with yeah. Hamler and Judy being out. Um, so I'm not going to take away too much from from this game at all, other than the fact that, uh, you know, with Locke, if you put pressure on him, his completion percentage is not going to be the same as Teddy Bridgewater. No. So you're not going to move the chains as much. Uh, but I guess I don't have too much to say about this one. Yeah. And then again, when I was rewatching this one, I, I was really disappointed with some of the play calling to your, to your point, um, especially like swing passes. Okay. To your point. There is no Hamler, there is no Judy. Those are your fastest dudes. Those are the guys that you might wanna you know, use as weapons to use for those types of screens and swing passes and things like this. Not to like Tim Patrick. Uh, and you know, it was like third and 10, or you know, again, like a compromising uh, down and distances where they would then leverage this play to a wide receiver that is big, bulky, and not fast. Uh, it's just like, what are you, what are you doing? Uh, again, against a Baltimore defense that even if they aren't necessarily that good, again, banged up, they are fast, at least. Um, okay, so Packers, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh was another game that we had exposure to pretty much across the board. One of our higher conviction plays, Pittsburgh at Pittsburgh plus seven, six and a half. Uh, I rewatched this game as well. I feel like Pittsburgh had multiple chances to cover this number and make this a very competitive game. So... I think we had the right handicap in place. It's just Ben continues to kind of just miss players uh, completely, or there's again, questionable play calling fourth down and four, fourth down and five. And it's either Ben's decision-making or it's the play calling that is, you know, the, the play ends up turning out to be a one yard pass. It's a pass that's not even to the sticks. And this happened on multiple occasions. Um, or again, Ben just misses the wide receiver or Ben just doesn't have the same zip on the ball or Ben's big bulky frame that used to be to his advantage. You know, he could bounce off defenders and be very resilient to kind of hang in the pocket and people would be draped all over him. He could still get a pass out. Now it's a liability. Now he's just big, bulky and slow and clumsy. And now he's just banging into his offensive lineman and then stumbling and falling backwards and someone's hitting the ball out of his arm, you know, and he's fumbling the ball. And, you know, so that big Ben is now, you know, something that is not to be, you know, is not a strength of his, uh, more liability. And so you definitely got to be careful betting Pittsburgh, but I, I still feel like they were the right side in this. The defense played sufficient. Um, there was a, a again, a kick that they blocked, returned for a touchdown, was called back. 
you know, erroneously, I feel like, you know, kind of the broader uh, a market and fan base kind of, and just observers are, you know, kind of consistently with that perspective. Um, and again, some bare, some bare miss kind of long deep balls that would have went for touchdowns on multiple occasions. Pittsburgh could have won this game straight up if they had a good quarterback. Uh, kind of what, what was your thoughts on this one, um, Ron? This was, um, this is all about Pittsburgh because every point you made is exactly correct. It was a hold your nose play based on Pittsburgh's first three weeks performance because like you said earlier, they didn't even play that well against Buffalo. But on the other hand, this is, this is a play I would make 10 out of 10 times. Um, I'm old enough to remember under Mike Tomlin and Bill Cower, how Pittsburgh used to be creative on offense. Randall mm-hmm. L throwing the, you know, the pass, the, the little halfback mm-hmm. misdirection sure. plays. Nice so word, yeah. There, there's been zero offensive creativity in the last three, four, five years. And and for Pittsburgh, they were the leaders in that category. And I'm I actually vastly disappointed in, in how they've regressed in play calling over the years. Now, they haven't been stretching the field for 15, 16 straight games, and they actually made an attempt to stretch the field this game. They did throw deeper, and they missed uh, Smith-Schuster at least twice on Mm -hmm. probable touchdowns. And, you know, I I think under normal circumstances, not a little bit on Ben's health, but more about creativity and maybe a little bit more on health, noting that their offensive line was down three players from last year due to retirement and injury. Pittsburgh should have covered this game and could have won this game because these are the kinds of opponents that they do damage against. So I don't know what that means moving forward other than week five is such a critical week for any team in the NFL that's one and three and just lost a game. And so moving forward, Pittsburgh's most important game of the season and their whole season is next week. And uh, they blew an opportunity this past week. Hmm. Yeah, totally agree. And now let's get to next week. Let's just quickly summarize too. New England, Tampa Bay, you know, these primetime games, New England, Tampa Bay, Chargers and, and Vegas, you know, a lot of people watch these games. Um, I think my just quick takeaway from Tampa Bay, New England is, you know, uh, again, super disappointed that we allocated to the Bucks. I mean, it's as square as you could possibly get. Uh, absolutely no edge whatsoever. Uh, you know you're paying a premium since it's like 10 to 1 ratio uh, uh, of betters, you know, positioned on the Bucks relative to the Patriots. Patriot, you know, still on the road. The weather ended up turning to be miserable. Still Bill Belichick. And I even saw a stat earlier in the day that really increased my <laughs> concern was just around Tom Brady's performance versus coaches on the Bill Belichick tree. And one of the games that, um, you know, Paige uh, actually pointed out on, on Twitter was, you know, Tom Brady's and the broader kind of Patriots uh, miserable performance versus the Lions a couple of years back um, versus, you know, even Matt Patricia. Uh, and just knowing that when you kind of have a coach along the Bill Belichick tree and the way they scheme against Tom Brady has been, you know, generally effective. Uh, and that kind of really played out in this game. Tom Brady did not play well at all, uh, but they still kind of got the victory. Obviously, New England misses that that field goal. Easily could have lost this game straight up. Um, some questionable play calling decisions also on Bill Belichick's side, I feel like, from the offensive perspective. 
maybe just not trusting Mac Jones, still being a rookie, again, miserable weather uh, to, to be seen. But I, I didn't like what I saw from Tampa Bay. I, I, again, it was a very bizarre game with a lot of different kind of noise and historical context, Bill Belichick. So I'm willing to hold reservation, but I, I, it's a wait and see kind of for me around Tampa Bay. We still have to recognize Tom Brady is 44 years old. And I feel like every single week is a year to, you know, when you're, when you're, you know, that age in the NFL. Um, so, you know, I, I would have liked to see a better performance, but what, what did you guys think? Um, I, I think the public, I, I think everybody kind of missed the narrative on this game. And you made some points that I was going to make about the ticket count and everything. So I'll skip that. Everybody focused on Brady, on Brady, but nobody focused on Belichick mm -hmm. and how he would yeah. game plan for this. And what value there was in this game, according to my numbers, um, even if it was a regular Sunday game, I might have made this game three, maybe three and a half, but I give an extra Perfect. half yeah. point for uh, Sunday night and Monday night. That's the only one that I do. I use two points otherwise. This game was really a two and a half and a three, and I'm getting seven points. Yep. And and then I have a team that goes, I think I tweeted it out, minus two in turnovers, minus one in rushing yards, and almost wins the game. Um, from my perspective, it's going to be hard to get better value than one could get on New mm -hmm. England. You could see for the first time that Tom Brady's throws were high because he yep. didn't want to make the mistake against Bill Belichick. Um, this was a very mentally and physically taxing game for him. Um, the only question was whether Matt Jones was up to the challenge and the hype that the Tampa Bay defense you know, would provide because you just can't run at all on Tampa. So you're forced to have a one-dimensional game. Um, but he did his part. I have no takeaways from Tampa. I think they're just fine. This was a tough very emotional spot there was noise galore in this game and now it's over and everybody can breathe yeah and i'll just add i think you know i'm glad new england lost this game because i want to bet new england moving forward i really think yep. this team Three. is going to be the second best team in this division which isn't saying much at this point um and i i think that dark horse should still make the playoffs in the afc i i think the the first four games keeping Mac Jones, getting him comfortable because he's the future, right? Like, you know, Bel Belichick is all about playing position. That's how Tom Brady became Tom Brady is, is keep Tom in position to be successful and let him let him find that success. Like, don't force it upon him. It, it will come. And I think that's what they're doing with Mac Jones is, you know, whether this year they're not going to win a Super Bowl this year. They know that um, it's more about it's grooming Mac Jones for next year and into the future. And so I think this first four weeks, and we've seen in the past with New England teams, they Belichick coach teams. Typically, their worst games come in the first four weeks. And, and they've had one bad game, right, out of four. Sure. So I think moving forward, this defense is probably definitely top 10, I would say, in the NFL, if not top five. And Mac Jones has played well. Obviously, he's still got some bumps along the road. Uh, but New England's definitely a team that especially while the market may be a little down on them after this loss, just being one in three. Um, I think, yeah, finding good spots to bet New England uh, henceforth for a while uh, might be a, a good, very sound play. Yep, strongly agree. Lastly, Chargers Raiders uh, didn't watch this one, so I have nothing to offer. <laughs> um, what about either of you? 
I did not see. We didn't either. lean either either way in, in this one. We didn't mm -hmm. have any exposure one way or the other. Didn't have a lot of a lot of high conviction. Had a lot of thunder at my house uh, in the game, but uh, the new stadium has a dome, but it got delayed for about forty minutes. So mm. it was late late night watching on the uh, East Coast. Um, I don't have really any takeaways I, from this game. Uh, the Raiders are are a really good team and a really flawed team all at the same time. Mm. Uh, Derek Carr is extremely accurate. The offensive line is not strong. The running game is banged up. The defense is a collection of bodies that don't play that well as a team, especially in the secondary. Um, and the Chargers are trying to learn to win. Uh, maybe a little overly aggressive head coach play calling, um, but I like their spirit. I think they're definitely in the mix. It was a fun game to watch. Yeah. One thing I would say is that I think the, the Chargers um, defense, uh, even you know versus the Chiefs, obviously, Chiefs make everyone look bad. Um, is is performing pretty well, and I think this offense. We know what what to expect from that offense if we trust Justin Herbert. Um, that defense might be enough to to really carry them into a playoff run. Um, mm -hmm. And and you know who knows. And, and again, if KC doesn't win the AFC, I, I mean, I'm high on the Bills at this point. But I mean, I, I think it, the AFC is probably more wide open um, if the if KC goes down than uh, the NFC uh, at at this point. Yeah. Also, I saw a funny tweet. Uh, it might have been from Eric Eager at PFF that talking about how this was traditionally a game where the Raiders defense would have given up 42 points. So the fact that they only gave up 28 is actually pretty impressive. Uh, and so I, I'm definitely not from from just looking at the box scores and some of the advanced analytics on the game again without watching it. It doesn't look like I'm not downgrading the Raiders uh, off this performance. I think they're still going to be, you know, kind of like a bet on team moving forward. Um, if I could make uh, one more point on yeah, the sure. game, if you see the score of the game, was it 21 nothing at half? And you sure. look at teams yeah. that are evenly matched pretty much going in, at least you thought they were, a good halftime strategy um, is to look at the underdog. I, I made the second half line, I would have made the second half line Raiders uh, favored by five and a half, six, and they were two, two and a half. Hmm. Um, and that just wasn't enough. I, you know, at no point did I, did I think the Raiders and Derek Carr would quit. And to me, that was value. I like Great. that. Good call. Um, okay. So I know we went a, we're a little bit long, a lot of substantive analysis in all of these <laughs> games and Hey, we're not even into bye weeks yet. So that we got this like full slate of games, but Let's just look to next week now and let's see if we legit can go quickly <laughs> through through these games. I'll offer just again like a one-liner on, on each one. Just let us know, guys, like Zach, Ron, which way you guys preliminarily lean. I know it's still early in the week. Still got to do a lot of our analysis. Still got to watch some game tape and things like that. But again, just our, our initial kind of leans here. So Thursday night football, Rams, Seahawks, Rams minus two and a half right now in Seattle. I think I wanted this to be closer to pick them. I was hoping that the, the market would be down on the Rams following that miserable performance versus the cards. I don't know if two and a half is bettable. If it was that pick, I definitely lean the Rams. I probably still lean the Rams here, but historically, man, it really is not a good position to be betting against the Seahawks getting points at home in a division game. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah, I, I mean, you're not getting that. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like I've seen this movie four times with these teams <laughs> in the Russell Wilson, Aaron Donald era. 
Um, to your point, Brett, gun to my head, I would still take the Rams under three just because I don't think Seattle's home field exists like it did three, four years ago. Um, and I think these last and the couple... Just... And the defense is, is honestly terrible. That secondary is god-awful. Um, so yeah, that's I, I would still do Rams. I, I think this is a classic bounce-back spot. Um, and the better team is is LA. My, my numbers don't support the Rams being favored, although I don't really have an opinion on the game, although I probably have an opinion that it'll be high-scoring. Yeah. Well, and that's, and that's my point, too, is... Is I, I agree. I don't. The Rams shouldn't be two and a half. It should be, in my view, pick. And so, if I took Rams two and a half, I'd be penalizing myself. Mm-hmm. But you know, um, maybe you can get away with it. <laughs> I'm probably not going to be betting it anyway. Thursday night football just sneaks up too fast. Uh, Jets Falcons in London. Jets plus three. Massive upgrade to the Jets. Wow, we. Um, I'm probably going to sell the Jets hype if there is such a thing after this week. Probably, I mean, like we've talked about earlier, I think, you know, Ron, you mentioned this as well. Is like when you bet bad teams, like just stupid shit happens. So I feel like that's going to happen no matter what side you bet on this. So I probably, you know, I'm not going to be betting either side here. I, real quick, I think I have an alpha angle on this if we can clarify which side benefits from it. Um, which might be a stretch, but so hear me out real quick. You know, they're going to London. Atlanta's the, I know they have a new coach, but they're the season team that's been around, you know, as far as like veteran leadership, et cetera. They're going to London all, you know, they've done this kind of shtick before the jets. They're young, they're hip, you know, Zach Wilson, like, has he ever been out of the country? Um, you know, so I could see an angle where it's a I, I don't know which side would benefit from it. Like is are the Jets young guns like gung ho to like play some more football in front of like European fans like, you know, what I'm saying like from a focus kind of like geared up standpoint or are they distracted is kind of is kind of the angle. I don't I'm not sure which direction that leans it lends itself. But I, I think there could be something to it if a pulse either way could be had. I wrote that the best thing that would happen, that has happened to Atlanta is that they're leaving the country mm. because uh, <laughs> after that last performance. But uh, but if I had guts, um, I would probably lean Atlanta in this game. Yeah, and the thing is, is just, again, you're still getting a bad offensive line versus a team that can get pressure um and you're also asking the falcons to win by margin which i don't know that they can and again jets played three tough defenses three tough teams in a row they just played a bad defense were able to sufficiently exploit it falcons defense also not good uh i mean uh, i i don't all right uh lions at the vikings uh hanging around i think it opened quickly at eight and now it's down to seven uh division game um lions defense man is just so bad i i don't know i don't even know if i can lean a direction at this point what do you think ron well um this is week five 
Minnesota qualifies in an excellent situational spot to win the game and probably cover. Their season is on the line. Mentally, there's such a difference between one and four and two and three. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. Um, I write in court in quartiles because coaches tend to think in quartiles, although we got 17 games now, so it's not necessarily a true quartile. This is the end of the four weeks. Minnesota knows their season is on the line this week. They've had success against Detroit in, in the past. Um, I'm generally much more of an underdog player, but the only way I would be looking is Minnesota. Yeah, and, and, and I, I agree with that. It's it's Minnesota off for me. And, and I, I'm not as scared of the line. If, if Dalvin Cook's going to play and we think he's going to be healthy for the full game, um, obviously, you know, Detroit plays hard and, you know, can backdoor cover, I think, all season. Um, but I think for survivor purposes, Minnesota's a great play as well. Yeah, for Survivor, I just hate betting division games. But, uh, you know, the look-ahead line on this was minus eight. The preseason line was minus eight and a half. So it's come down a full point, point and a half. Uh, I guess maybe, the, you know, Lions aren't as bad as especially preseason expectations assumed. Um, and so, you know, I think the seven maybe should be seven and a half. Um, but yeah, I don't see a lot of opportunity myself. It, Kind of based on what you guys thought, yeah, I guess I would probably somewhat lean, you know, the Vikings as well. I'm definitely not going to be betting the Lions, that's for sure. Uh, Bucks, Dolphins, and Tampa. Uh, Bucks currently minus 10 and a half. Hmm. Flat spot for the Bucks again. I, you know, I, like to to what Ron was saying about the Bucks earlier, I mean, it, it was such an unprecedented once in history event. It, to me, it was really Belichick's and Brady's Super Bowl. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that game meant more to them than both of them winning another Super Bowl. And so I, I just like there's no way I'm laying ten and a half with the Bucks, even though in theory they should take care of business, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I want to rewatch the Dolphins game because I thought they played. They, they had a lot of breaks versus the Raiders the week before, but I thought they played decent in spurts. So I'm curious to well, see. Remember, and they were also, like I said, they were. Uh, uh, and the win probability were in excess of 65-70% for half the game. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, if that de- if the Miami defense can just kind of keep you know, keep the Bucks under 27 points 24 points, then yeah, I, I think uh, Miami is an option. This is a buy low, sell high kind of situation for me. Um, everything that I have points me to Miami. If you tell me it's equal turnovers, I tell you I win four out of five times with the spread Mm. on this particular game. Um, It's such a flat spot for Tampa and the season's Mm. on the line for Miami. There's only one way I'm going. Yep. Yeah, and and I think, you know, something that also you want to take into consideration as well is, you know, and we've talked about this before, whereas did Bill Belichick Again, there's so much noise and, and all this other stuff, so you don't know necessarily, but Bill Belichick put together somewhat of a playbook around how to play Tom Brady and this Buccaneers offense. So when we look at the look ahead, preseason line was bucks seven and a half. Uh, the look ahead line was minus nine and a half. So now it's minus 10 and a half. Hmm. So that's clearly not upgrading the bucks off of the past performance. And that's mostly, I have to say, downgrading of the Dolphins, hmm. which it seems a three-point downgrade from the preseason look-ahead line. So I totally agree with you guys. I mean, I think this is definitely uh, Dolphins or bust. It's definitely one of those hold-your-nose type bets. And I think the Bucks 
to your again to your point is just uh you know one of those you can't bet really teams this week especially coming off such a historic uh uh week uh last week with the bucks patriots uh eagles at carolina carolina minus four trending to uh minus three and preseason line was minus three uh look ahead was minus three and a half so uh, looks like, you know, Panthers being upgraded a half point to a point over the last couple months, uh, in spite of the Eagles definitely looking better than most people assumed preseason for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a lot of points to lay with Carolina. And we've kind of seen, besides that Saints game, I mean, you know, they look good for a half. They let the other team kind of come back. I, I just don't know what the team is right now, like how good or not they really are. And I mean, same goes for the Eagles. I mean, I think the Eagles are still underestimated in general, but they, they're kind of like the Falcons in that they they're, they inevitably are their worst, their own, their own worst enemy. Um, and that's where it becomes difficult to play a team like the Eagles because you don't know if they're just going to beat themselves. Um, but if, if you can anticipate them not beating themselves, I think the four and a half... Uh, is, is viable, especially without Christian McCaffrey still. I, th I think I'm pretty a uh, good pulse on Carolina. I don't have a great pulse on Philly right now, what they are, you know, what their staff and schemes. I'm impressed with Hurts more than I thought I would be at this point. Um, I would only look for points in this game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would lean Eagles uh, on this one uh, as well. Again, Panthers beat up, Eagles beat up um, as well. Um, but yeah, I think it's, this is a, a point too much and, you know, Zach, you know, you and I have had a pretty good pulse on the Panthers for the last couple of years, including this year. Um, but we really don't like betting them as favorites and especially, uh, in excess of a field goal type favorite. Hmm. Uh, so saints on the road versus Washington, this one's been kind of wobbling around between one and a half and two and a half, uh, currently saints minus two and a half. Saints, pretty uh, pretty straightforward. Saint. I mean, I, I mean, <laughs> I mean. Once again, I think this line is short now. I mean, it's you know, it, it yang, the market yangs when they yang, and they yang when they yang. So I, I don't know. From what I've seen from Washington, there hasn't been a lot to love except Heineke. I think Heineke has been the silver lining. If it's if it hasn't been for him, man, I mean, I'm not sure Washington isn't the worst team in this division. So you know. For all the Eagles hate coming in the season, all the anti-Danny Dime stuff, you know, Giants really should have beat Washington. Washington probably could have lost Atlanta sure. like we talked about. So I, I don't know. I just, I'm not high on Washington. I think they were overrated coming into the season a little bit. Um, and they could turn a corner later in the season, but I, I something's not right with that front seven. I, they're just not, not getting home. They're not making plays. So maybe just some regression. Well, it'll be interesting to see if they unleash Jameis Winston. Keep waiting for that because uh, this is a spot you'd want to try to do that. Mm -hmm. Long-standing trend, 20, 30, 80 years. Saints, I know, haven't been in existence 80 years, but uh, this year they're 2-0 straight up and against the spread as a dog and 0-2 straight up and against the spread as a favorite. It's just so tough betting favorites in Saint games, but mm -hmm. uh, anything under three is probably not worth even looking for me. Yeah, 
I don't feel strongly about this one. This is someone, I'll see how my thoughts kind of crystallize over the course of the week. I would say I preliminarily lean Saints on this one, but I recognize and acknowledge it's not a great spot. Uh, but again, Washington, that defensive line has not been able to get home, like Zach's mentioned, and now they're going to be going up versus one of the better offensive lines. Um, and in Washington, secondary is definitely exploitable. So as Ron mentioned, I mean, if they allow, you know, uncap Winston <laughs> a little bit in this game, it could be exploited. But also I do want to monitor Saints wide receiver health. Again, I know Callaway got banged up. It looked pretty severe on the in, in the game. Uh, we'll see if he's actually going to miss uh, a couple weeks. Uh, Titans on the road versus the Jags. Titans minus four. Ooh. Urban distraction <laughs> how do you bet it i don't know if you can i mean i mean it, this, i think this I, is down big too so this, the look ahead was seven and a half yeah i, I think so you're getting now down to four and a half and remember the jets i mean sorry the titans were up against the jets i think by seven to ten 14 points of memory serves so yeah, i mean as bad as the titans played they lost blah 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 like you know they still probably could have should have maybe beat the jets anyways so like this is a good rebound spot. Obviously, it's a, it's a division game. Jags had more time to prepare, but I don't know. Were they preparing for an Urban Meyer firing or were they preparing for a football game? And obviously, that's going to be the narrative going into this. But if the lines drop that big, I think the biggest key is what are the are any of the receivers coming back? Are they going to have A.J. Brown or Julio if they do? I think Titans is an option. I, I don't love it, but uh, I, I don't think you I don't know if I can touch the Jags at this point. Under normal circumstances, new coaches with early bye weeks is a blessing in disguise because the season, the weeks, they go too fast for new coaches mm -hmm. and new staffs and they need to recalibrate. And this is perfect for Jacksonville, but this is also not a normal circumstances with the way this weekend played out. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm passing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I heard like Urban, you know, cancel the team meeting on Monday. Again, it's unclear exactly what rumors are true or not. But again, some of the stuff I've read is, you know, he went in, you know, gave some team speeches and like walked out of the room and the players are laughing at him, thinking it's like super in insincere and inauthentic. Uh, I think the owner was even coming out and saying like Urban Meyer has to earn back the team's trust and respect. I mean, Jesus, like mm. it's only week five, you know? Yeah, dear God, um, it's, been a, it, I mean, it's, been a, it's been a circus. Like I, I, we, I hail from Florida. I grew up a Gators fan. I used to admire Urban Meyer when he was at the Gators. Um, I came into the season with higher hopes that maybe he could prove people wrong. I think I've been proven wrong, and he's a complete and utter disaster. And it doesn't mean that it it can't turn a corner, but it's just been a wild circus for <laughs> for the entire time. So, yeah, I mean, I would say yeah, the Jags are probably unbettable in this instance. What I would say is every single thing we just talked about is well known. Yep public market information. If anybody's betting the Titans, what we just talked about is why they're betting the Titans. If anyone's avoiding the Jags, this is exactly why they're avoiding the Jags. This is, I feel like, priced into this line, unless, again, people are just overly discounting the Titans off a law, a totally justifiable loss to the Jets that I feel like, again, Jets played well. Um, so, you know, I feel like this is probably, you know, a, a stay away game unless this line comes down to a field goal. Maybe it looks a little bit more attractive there. La uh, Broncos 
uh, on the road versus uh, Steelers. Uh, currently, mm. Steelers minus one uh, with Drew Locke at the helm. Ooh. Let's run it back. Steelers. Go with the better technically coach. Maybe actually the better quarterback. And definitely, probably, the better defense. So. Well, I'd argue Denver's defense is on par with Pittsburgh at Pittsburgh's current health. But other That's than fair. that... Yeah. Other than that, uh, um, there's only one way to go. And yeah, hold your nose and run it back. <laughs> and, and Ron, uh, I, and Ron yeah, I trust. I mean, you think, again, it, it, if Drew Locke is going to gamble, this is not a defense you want to gamble versus. And we know at least Big Ben is unlikely to gamble. And if, if he does, it's probably so inaccurate that no one can get it. Um, yeah. This is going to be uh, a tough one. Again, because Drew Locke is so hard to predict, like, you know, he's going to be probably aggressive and that might work out or it might not work out. You, know, you might get surprised or you might be totally predictable. Uh, I think that's kind of the wild card here. I feel like we know what we're going to get from the Steelers. It's just hard to know what you're going to get uh, from the Broncos. But yeah, I would definitely agree. Probably got to lean Steelers here. I wish that they were an underdog. I mean, the Steelers betters have been getting ripped to shreds uh, this season. Uh, so, you know, I was hoping that some of that negative sentiment, some of that butthurt phenomenon would would uh, show a little bit more uh, in this price. When I look at the look ahead, uh, let's see, down about three and a half points. It was minus four and a half Steelers preseason. Oh, yeah. Uh, they've certainly obviously been downgraded since then. It was plus two. Look ahead. So this has moved three points, obviously, mostly on the lock news. Um, I don't know if that's justified or not. Uh, this one's tough. Again, going to have to kinda continue to assess as the week goes on. Uh, this one's an interesting one. Packers minus three on the road versus the Bengals. Bengals. You know, 10 days rest. Defense looks, you know, pretty, you know, definitely have been outperforming over the course of the season. Uh, Joe Burrow continues to mature. Uh, I, I want to look at some of the health of the Bengals defense. I know the, the secondary was was banged up a little bit into that Jaguars game. So I want to see what, what that looks like. Um, but uh, yeah, this is a tough one. What do you guys think? You go, Ron. Okay. Um, I think if, uh, from what I've heard, Maybe you guys know Joe Mixon is a no-go for this game, mm. which is not good for Cincy because you no. could run it on Green Bay pretty much night and day if you have a, a power back like uh, like Mixon. I, I think you could uh, really offshoot that. Partial letdown spot for Green Bay being in the spotlight week two, being in the spotlight week three, Sunday night football, Monday night football, and then the Rodgers-Big uh, Ben reunion uh, last week. I would have leaned Cincy. You know, without Mixon, it's it's really too tough for me. Yeah, you make a good point, Ron. Hmm. Yeah, and, the, and the look ahead was plus three and a half. Now the Bengals are down Mixon, but they're, the oh, line has moved in their favor. Well, so, so then that, that makes me think there's a bit of an overreaction here. And, and I agree in general with the idea of the flat spot here. But it just seems like the market is a little too high on the Bengals. And they should have lost to the Jags, right? Like, I mean, it, pretty much. So, 
Yeah, I, I, I should say I use the word flat spot lightly in this case, okay. but because you could say they're focused because since he is three and one, it's not mm -hmm. like they're going against one and three. Mm -hmm. I think Green Bay's mindset as a, as a team is, well, we don't usually play Green Bay. How are we going to get bulletin board material? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think I think I think I'd be comfortable laying it and then and riding Green Bay here at this point. I, I, I don't think Bengals is really a great option in this spot. Um, even with the time off, yeah, especially without mixing. I mean, that's that's it's huge. That hurts. That's a big uh, Patriots on the road versus the Texans. Patriots is currently minus nine. Oh. Is David Mills quarterback? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I I, I mean, well, preseason it was Texans plus six, and obviously that was pricing the Texans as being like one of the worst teams in the league. Yeah, but I mean, Tyra, uh, Tyra Devin, look ahead. So this has moved up two points following that Bucks game, and I guess more or less probably a downgrade overall of the evaluation of Davis Mills. I mean, it, it, the question to me because there is a world where these type quarterbacks like Davis Mills like a Deshaun Kaiser type, like a Nathan Peterman, are that bad. And you cannot back their teams and as starting quarterbacks, especially against teams with good coach defenses. So, and as you saw versus the Panthers, like he didn't play bad, but like he, they, they didn't cover. So so the question is like, are you getting enough points to, to I don't know, stay in the game? Like have a, be in position to cover? I don't. I don't know. I, I. I need to watch David Mills more closely and see if there's anything there. Um, but I imagine Bill Belichick's licking his chops. I mean, look what he did to, to Wilson uh, three weeks ago. So I think Patriots are off personally. I don't see the value on Texans here. I'll make mine quick. Pass. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, the Texans defense, I feel like, has played better than people are really pricing them as. I can see this game being super low scoring. It's one of the lowest totals on the board at 39. I probably lean under there. Again, the weather was miserable in Buffalo, and so it was just a terrible spot for Davis Mills as well. I do want to rewatch that game, but I mean, again, from some of the stats, obviously Mills just looked terrible. I think he's only threw the ball like 12 times and four of them were for picks. Um, and I, I have uh, an angle real quick on this. Yeah. Could this be an opportunity for Belichick and McDaniels to do a little more unleashing of Mac Jones to make him get a little more comfortable? Maybe, but I, I honestly don't think it's a great spot to do that because Texans defense, I feel like is better yeah. than people are assuming. And if that is the case, yeah. if they're going to try to be overly aggressive with him. Then I feel like that could backfire. Mm. I don't know, especially again, we're talking about Bucks as a flat spot. Why can't it be a flat spot for the Patriots as well? Yeah. Uh, and no one wants to give the Texans the benefit of the doubt whatsoever. Um, yeah, I, no. I, I don't think you can bet Patriots here. Mm -hmm. Fair point. Uh, Bears at Raiders in Vegas. This line keeps ticking up. I saw four and a half, then five, then five and a half, now six. Uh, I, think Bears, I think Bears are bettable. I think to what Ron was saying earlier, that... You know, it, it it depends what we make of this Raiders defense. I mean, obviously they're better than last year. I mean, that was last year is pretty historically bad. Um, 
if, if Fields can can keep making plays down the field, obviously Montgomery getting hurt, but Damian Williams, I think, might fill in enough in this type spot. So, huh. yeah, I agree. What do you think, Ron? Uh, I got to research Damian Williams more. Uh, I was going to make that point anyway. Uh, this is a good spot for the Bears. I just need to know whether it's going to be doable to keep the Raiders off balance with the run and then the long pass. I mean, the Bears have very capable wide receivers. It's just the case Absolutely. of making sure that somebody like Justin Fields, if he is going to be the starter, is he going to be given time to make that throw? Because he's a one-read quarterback. Most rookies are one-read quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. Joe Burrow in his second year is all of a sudden a four-read quarterback. But Justin Fields is either going to hit his first target, throw it out of bounds, or take off and run. Um, so if the run works, you're going to get blown coverage with the Raiders. I, I need to do more research on Chicago's running back situation. Yeah, no, I would say I would agree. I, pro I probably with Zach and, and lean the Bears here. But um, as Ron implied as well, if Justin Fields quarterback, I don't know if it's if Justin Fields quarterback for me, but what that implies is that there is a question. And, you know, Nagy is out saying, well, if Andy Dalton's healthy, then he's going to be the starter. And I don't know, maybe that's some like game theory here. Like, is Andy Dalton even healthy enough to possibly even come back? Is he just trying to like throw the Raiders off and having to prepare for multiple quarterbacks? Um, I don't know. I feel like we're going to see Justin Fields again, though. And um, if it is Andy Dalton, I feel like he's going to be banged up. And one of the things that we saw from Andy Dalton through the first few weeks, which was played to his advantage, was his somewhat of general mobility and being able to run for first downs and things of this sort. And it sounds like even if he were to come back, he's not going to have that same mobility, which would definitely play against them. Um, so in this instance, although I normally wouldn't say this, is if Andy Dalton is quarterback for the Bears, I probably lean Raiders. And if it's Justin Fields, then I probably lean Bears. Uh, Browns at Chargers in LA. Browns plus one and a half. Yeah, interesting. I mean, look. Like to 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 Ron's point, it seems like the, both these teams are three and one, correct? Chargers seem to yes. be getting all the love, and Browns are getting none of it. Doesn't make a lot of sense. Browns still probably have the better roster. I think maybe the Chargers have the better quarterback, but you know that that Chargers loss to Dallas really was a confusing loss. That seems to the Chargers have something in their DNA where they're going to find ways to lose a few games. And the Browns lost to the Chiefs. I know, I know they found a way to lose to the Chiefs, but, like, it's the Chiefs. Like, everyone finds ways to lose to the Chiefs. So, just from a matchup standpoint, um, yeah, I, th I, think, I think the market probably is falling in love a little bit with the Cinderella Chargers and forgetting that the Browns exist. So, yeah, I could, I could, I could get on the Browns train here. I can make a case for both teams, which makes it a very hard game for me to play. Mm. I guess the only tipping point is the fact that every Charger game is a is a road game, mm -hmm. and uh, you know there'll be Browns fans in the stadium, yep. so you you don't have home field advantage. You have the Chargers off a divisional game that was you know important to them, so I'd give the slight edge to Cleveland, but I don't know if it's mm -hmm. playable. Yeah. But but one yeah. thing I would say I, I would real probably... quick caveat is how I'm I think I'm still behind on certain quarterbacks of how good are they really? 
Is, do we think Justin Herbert is top 10 quarterback? Would we say yes? Yes. Yes. I, I, I would what say you, what do you fringe. Think, fringe. Fringe top 10. Okay. Fringe top 10. And I think that's a great question to ask after this game. Okay. Because if he goes 24 for 35 for 300 yards against the Browns defense, he's in the top 10. Gotcha. I like it. Uh, yeah, I would say again, like I, I probably lean Browns as well. It always pains me to bet against the better quarterback, especially in a quarterback dominant league. Uh, but I, I want to still, again, a lot of people are loving what Brandon Staley's doing over in, down in LA. The thing is, is I feel like it, the Chargers was the literally the best job that a rookie coach could get this year because the, one of the biggest things with the charges they were just always loaded with talent it was just like the coaching was just so bad that it constantly just mitigated all of it uh you know i think the chargers lost multiple games in which they were leading by 17 points or more last year i mean that you have to be truly truly incompetent to do that and now as long as you just don't have an incompetent coach but hey maybe if you have it as somewhat of a sharp coach then you can really start to capitalize on that um but again brandon Staley, i feel like by far is, is is the one of the rookie head coaches who inherited the most talent i mean this this franchise is not dysfunctional like so many uh are that many of the rookie coach rookie head coaches uh then did inherit um but yeah so it's hard to bet the browns knowing i feel like Mayfield's probably worse at this point, even even at this point than, than Herbert. Uh, and the Browns your, your got point is great. Issues. Your your point is great. I want to also bring up that Cleveland was in the same situation when they fired two dysfunctional coaches and got their coach. Mm. Yep. True. Yeah. Exa- no. Yeah. Exactly. Stefanski. Yeah. Last year inherited again like an incredible amount of talent, um, and and, and really then was able to bring them right into the playoffs and compete with the Chiefs and probably should have you know won that game uh, yeah. and moved forward. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm torn on this one. Uh, Giants at Cowboys, Giants plus seven and a half, division oh, game. So it looks like this points. leaning towards seven right now. That's a lot of points. I mean, the Giants and Cowboys almost always play each other tough. I mean, especially if the Giants get any of those receivers back. Obviously, you know, they handled their business technically, I guess, versus the Saints. Um, and, you know, Dallas's defense has been playing better than, I think, expectations overall. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's, I don't know, that sounds like, I mean, that seems like a lot of points. Obviously, like we talked about, Brett, um, you're always going to have premiums on the Cowboys. <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of built into the Cowboys line almost regardless of anything. And they're yeah, playing. And you're, you're already getting that preseason line was minus five and a half. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, I, I couldn't back Cowboys on that line, so. It'd be Giants are off. Yeah, it's kind of two schools of thought for me, which piggybacks on what you say. Divisional game, there's no reason to think the Giants won't be competitive. Um, I kind of wish Dallas was playing outside of their division in this game because sitting at three and one with some solid wins, I, I think they could have been a little too full of themselves and maybe distracted with a non-divisional opponent. So you have the fact that I like the Giants because they're playing Dallas, but I would like Dallas if they're not playing the Giants. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of converse things. But the only way I would look is seven plus. And this is really the first game where you're you're really paying the premium 
for Dallas in the sense of kind of it's not just the Dallas fans that are the homers, you know, again, I say one of the most daft fan bases in the league. Uh, it's also just broader betting public now starting to pile into Dallas. Dallas is 4-0 ATS, but, you know, you're getting points versus the Bucs. You're getting points versus the Chargers. They were just a field goal favorite versus Philly. And then just, you know, a slightly more than a field goal at that four and a half. That was the first time you kind of seen like, all right, now you're in a little bit of a more uncomfortable position. But now it's over a touchdown versus a division opponent versus, well, I think we can all argue that the Giants are playing better than the market assumed, better than preseason expectations. But this line has moved from five and a half to seven and a half through key number. Um, so yeah, seems unjustified. I definitely would lean uh, the Giants as well. But yeah, I mean, that Cowboys offense is really, really ripping. Uh, hard to, again, always go against the better uh, offense, um, you know, kind of throughout the NFL this year. And one of the things, another phenomenon that we've been seeing a lot this year, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I know like last week, uh, it was, you know, uh, uh, all teams that won are covering. You know, there's not a lot of games where the spread is even really coming in to play. I think the only game last week where that that happened was the Dolphins and, and the Raiders, uh, which, you know, again, luckily we're, we're on the Dolphins that week. Uh, Niners plus five and a half on the road versus the Cards. Another division game, another quite elevated price. I feel like this is definitely the first week again where you're starting to get that now that juicy premium on the Cardinals if you want to back them. Mm. What's Jimmy G's status? Her preseason preseason line was pick. Look ahead line might minus two and a half. Yeah. I mean if Jimmy G's out, I just terrible timing. I, I don't know. You just don't know what you're gonna get but with could, Trey could, Lance. could you get Shanahan trying to be really creative with the play calling and using you know like RPOs and you know, trying to make it as easy as possible on him. At least he's going to get like kind of a full week of preparation. Now you're not kind of being interjected into the game. Again, I'm not bullish on Trey Lance, but you know, just trying to make some some arguments here. And again, there is a premium on the Cardinals now. Yeah, but in this situation, you got the better coaching. We, I, I think you know, at least I know Zach and I. We definitely agree that the Niners have better coaching than Arizona. Agree. Huh. For me, um, Arizona, again, is in that unfamiliar territory of being this high of favorite. Um, mm -hmm. They should have lost or at least not covered against Jacksonville. Um, a new territory for them. But I really don't like the change in defensive coordinator for San Francisco. And I think mm -hmm. Arizona puts points on the board yeah, here. Fair. With the variability of you don't know what Trey Lance brings to, to the table in this game, I'll just sit and learn. Yeah. Um, I, I just I think that's the mature thing to do with, something that Zach and I have a very hard time doing sometimes yes yes if I had to bet it I think I'm gonna go Arizona and this is why I think in this game it makes sense like so, so the overreaction line was coming no matter what but are we sure that this three-point move isn't actually justified or I guess five-point move from these preseason isn't justified with the downgrade to Trey Lance. Now, obviously, that's a, that sounds like a lot of points, but in this first game versus Arizona, who's going to be aggressive on on defense? Like, 
you know, the assumption is, oh man, everyone's buying the Cardinals hype, which they are. But are we sure that it's not justified from a downgrade in quarterback just in and of itself? And if so, then it hasn't moved far enough, maybe. Yeah, that can be true. So what is the line right now? Five and a half. Yeah. I think it's gonna go up. Yeah, I think it's gonna go I seven. Agree. I'm gonna go bet it. You're right back. Yeah. <laughs> uh this is definitely the name brand matchup of the week. Bills at Chiefs. Bills currently plus two and a half. Oh wow, that's it. Chiefs getting a lot of love. I hate to I hate to do it, but I feel like if you're if it's Chiefs under a field goal, you have to bet. You don't have to do anything, but I, I feel like yeah. the market. This is the first game. This is the first game where I feel like the market has finally stopped riding the Chiefs. Yeah, and they're not being given the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I feel like normally this is Chiefs three and a half. Now it's two and a half, hmm. and. I don't know how much the Bills have necessarily proved. I think we know exactly what we're going to get from the Chiefs. It's going to be a shootout. Yeah. But if it's going to be a shootout, I still think... Chiefs are the better team. The Chiefs are the better team. Um, and, you know, again, maybe you can get one of those sneaky, random, rare, good defensive performances, you know, that we've seen out of the Chiefs before, even when their defense is terrible. Two and a half, I just... Yeah, and, and and remember, this is the thing. Let, let's. I, this is a good point this season to remind everyone that let's look for constants when you're betting. Okay, what has been a constant that we know is going to continue? Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs' offense, right? Like that's a constant variable that we don't have to guess. Like some magical regression or whatever. Like obviously, games will happen that it underperforms, but it's a constant variable. The assumption was, was Josh Allen going to be a constant variable in this season? And he's had some regression throughout this first season, throughout the first four games, even performing fairly well as a team and, be, you know, going three and one and dominating these last few games. So from that standpoint, if you're looking at it from an offensive perspective in a high scoring game, the constant variable edge is with Chiefs. So Josh Allen is still missing throws downfield. He's still getting sloppy with the ball at times. And that may, that may be enough to your point. So, yeah, that's just that's just my point. Um, Zach said I, you don't have to bet it, so I don't have to bet it. So <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's a good thing. But I will say that uh, Buffalo cares deeply about this game because of yes. double revenge, including playoff revenge. Now we have to figure out whether it's a matchup problem against KC, which it might be without a, a true bell pal running back. I, I'm just curious to see how it plays out. Um, not curious from a betting standpoint. So there's no number that would uh, entice. What, what if it goes to three and a half? Then I'm then I'm in <laughs> on the bills. And what, what if it goes to pick? Um, I probably wouldn't be in because you're dealing with numbers okay. that aren't usually in play. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 No, I think um, 
Yeah, I would still, again, it would have, it would be mm. probably an anxiety filled game of, of <laughs> back and forth. Um, I, this is what I think. I feel like, again, it, it's going to be a high scoring game. Obviously, I think it's the highest total on the board. It's 56 and a half. Um, you know, and Chiefs kind of, you know, squeak it out. Or you could see this seminal event for the Chiefs of the cracks kind of materializing over the course of the season. And this is the one where the offense just doesn't click and the Bills just destroy them. Well, the only thing... I think... Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Ron. Yeah. Uh, the thing I would say about this, Casey under Andy Reid have been streaky for four, five, six, seven years, whatever it's been. When the season ends, you'll probably see Kansas City on a six, seven game winning streak. They're not there right now. That's why it wouldn't surprise me if they would. It wouldn't surprise me if they're four and four after eight games and 11 and five at the end of the year or 12 and five or whatever. Yeah. Well, and didn't see that. It, real quick to refresh my memory. Didn't last year when these teams played both times, but in that first matchup, the score was 26, 17. Um, Josh Allen was 14 of 27 with two touchdowns and interception. And I think, if memory serves, didn't the Bills try to play like some keep away, like grind out the clock, not do too much type thing, and the Chiefs just kind of scored early and dominated the game? So I'm, what I wonder is, you know, sometimes teams just have better matchups against other teams. Um, so I just wonder, you know, kind of like the Chiefs when they were up against Lamar Jackson, they were up 11 points at one point. Um, if, if Allen's not connecting deep down the field, does that advantage now go back to the Chiefs defensively? Mm -hmm. So what I wonder. Yeah. I mean, to your point, I mean, again, like Allen yeah. just hasn't been consistent this year the way he was kind of last year. Um, that's but my, you get that, that's my of, point. Even last year when he was consistent, he didn't play consistent versus the Chiefs, which obviously was a different defense, but just FYI. Yeah. Uh, lastly, Monday Night Football, Colts at Ravens. Colts plus seven. Looks like it could be heading to six and a half. Hold your nose. <laughs> Preseason line was minus four, obviously assuming a much healthier Colts team. Mm -hmm. Um, and probably a healthier, you know, backfield for the Ravens. Look ahead was six and a half. So this moved up a half point, kind of, again, trending back towards that six and a half. So not too big of an adjustment. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little butthurt from the Denver play last <laughs> week. Um, but I feel like you, it's, it's the Colts is the right play. I just don't know if I can personally do it. If you tell me this game has been moved to Sunday afternoon, I'd probably lean toward the Colts, but Baltimore has a good track record on mm -hmm. Monday night, and it kind of washes out some of the Colts' advantages. Um, so I'll probably pass. Yeah, I would probably pass on it too, because again, we're not big bit bulls on the Ravens, but I mean, I just don't, I mean, the Colts are just so hard to bet. I just, I've not seen anything from them that makes me optimistic or that I could expect some sort of consistent performance from them. Um, yeah, this is probably just a stay away. And to, you know, Zach and I just historically not sharp at betting primetime games like whew, terrible. Um, all right. 
Oof, that was a long one, but a lot of juicy uh, information. Thanks, Ron, for coming on and joining and providing some of your insights, especially some of your alternative opinions for sure. It's always good to freshen it up. Uh, we'd love to have you back, especially like every quarter, maybe, you know, when you're kind of, you know, assess your kind of quarterly, you know, evaluations, come out with your report and share some of your insights with us. You know, we'd love that. Well, thanks for having me, first of all. And, and I, I love talking football, so I'm uh, very pleased. I'll, I'll come on whenever you need me. And it's, it's probably good probably to pick one of those um, weeks where there are teams off buys and stuff like that, because there's a lot to talk about. And maybe with two or three fewer games, we get into yeah. it. Well, and that's the other thing is, too, you make a good point is, you know, now we're getting in close now to uh, buy season where there's going to be that five to you know, seven, eight weeks of, you know, really tough handicapping. You're going to have fewer options. You're going to have tighter lines. You know, the market's going to catch up to some of these teams that, you know, some of the sharper betters, you know, were quicker to adjust to. And then we're also going to start to see some of the narratives around these teams start to change and evolve, especially as, you know, injuries catch up or players come back. Um, and then, you know, some of the sharper coaches start to adjust their schemes and, 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 and change things that aren't working. And then maybe some bad coaches that don't adjust at all. Uh, you know, so we're getting into definitely the tougher part of the season. Like I said, we're so far 12 and eight in Circa, you know, we were wishing that we were going to be, you know, even better than that. Because again, this is, this was the easier part of the season. We always think like the beginning of the season and the end of the season is kind of the easiest. And uh, it's this middle of the season that is the toughest. And that's the point that we're getting into. Uh, so it's going to be tough. And that's why, you know, going to be awesome to continue to leverage minds uh, like Ron uh, to come on here, share his thoughts again, so we can diversify, you know, how we're angling into these games. You know, and we're not just, you know, having this echo chamber of kind of the same sort of handicaps. Uh, so again, thanks, Ron, for, for joining in. Um, uh, and that will conclude this podcast. Uh, we'll see you again uh, next week. And that's the closing bell.